0: Hi, Jimmy here. Welcome to a very special pod. This week, we are pitching movies about the most famous archaeologist in movie history, Indiana Jones. We hope you enjoy this. It's three hours of action-packed chat. Hopefully, we'll all be okay and get to the other side. Otherwise, in the immortal words of Indy himself,
1: We are going to die!
0: Let me say with um full gusto, welcome. With a heavy
1: heart <laughs> and laden shoulders.
0: <laughs> welcome to Shoulders of Giants. I'm Jimmy.
1: Hello, I'm Sheppy.
0: And uh, we are the What If podcast for movie sequels and prequels and spin-offs and and TV sequels, spin-offs, etc. Sheppy. And I love it. today I oh, know that was it. That, that was, was clean. It. I know that and was clean. That clean. was
1: good stuff. Like, um, know, i'm bloody loving it jimmy
0: every second or... counts on this one chefs i feel
1: <laughs> <laughs> even saying every second counts is interrupted and slowed down uh, <laughs> so yeah yeah i think we need to settle in jimmy you just settle in now
0: we go for a paul daniel zag because we talk about quiz shows of the past um but anyway uh it was every second count, wasn't it, Paul Daniel? Right? Every
1: second count, certainly. One of many, yeah. His was as well. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Viking Daniel's.
0: I set us a seminal one last last time. He did. And uh, it's huge. yes, so Indiana Jones, chefs. Indiana Jones, and
1: uh That's good mean, stuff. And good. believe it or not, it was never on my list. I don't know if it ever even occurred to me, which is so funny. But no, it was never. on never there so it caught me by surprise and i'm really happy about it i
0: thought it was good to do it now before we might feel a sense of you know i'm I'm going to be pessimistic indie fatigue fatigue by the end of the year here where (laughs) we're we're having a catch dial of destiny this year and i i was you know interested in the new director and the possibilities i've seen the trailer i won't say anything chef because i know you haven't but it's uh the trailer left me with a heavy heart. Let's just say, and um, so I, I, I think it's probably better to do this now, before we'll
1: you know, go backwards and yeah. we'll get this out the way, like yeah, quick, yeah. quick, sharp, rip off the band aid. Um, so I haven't seen the trailer for Dial of Destiny. I, if it's not going to be Spielberg, Mangold is good for me because he makes very solid stuff and he makes lots of different stuff at a very high quality. So I'm in. Um, but you know, you know, fine. Mean, Fine, I'm going to assume at this point that it's an unfortunate trailer and the film is going to be amazing. I'm lying to myself on every level, but I'm going to sort of say this out loud and we'll see what happens. And just to have another in Johnny Jones film, fine. Um, With that in mind, I don't know, who knows if there are any similarities. That'd be interesting. But if it's exactly the same. Um, Now we saw Kingdom of the Crystal Skull together at the cinema. was it 2008? And I think we saw it in Camden. Yeah, we
0: did, eh? And I just, look, um, we did, I think, it was definitely in London, and it was definitely an immediate trauma. There was no, like, I knew as I was watching it. It was, it
1: was like, not Beverly Hills Cop 3. Yeah. There was, But then again, Beverly Hills Cop 3, as been stated many times, was our birth into the acceptance of disappointment in the world so it took a bit of time to sink in because we hadn't experienced it before i think before we i had seen the trailer and you had seen the trailer to crystal skull and we were both like Meh. but i was still like it's spielberg they're all gonna want it to be good spielberg insanely said there's not much cgi i don't know what on earth you know like we as if we weren't gonna find out it's like the little kid who says I didn't eat the cake, knowing the cake's gone, knowing your little sticky fingerprints are up the kitchen wall. What a twat. Anyway, bless him, nonetheless. Um, what a shame. I haven't seen it since the cinema, but I like you. When we went, I was still being like, come on now. And then, yes, pretty much, I mean the gopher, you know, at least we didn't have any, you know, thoughts about it. As soon as that the 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 caddyshack moment happened, it was like, okay. I guess that's it. And then you just sit back and just go, right. And I'm sure there were very good moments, but I have to say, I don't remember. I try not to think about it very much, but I do know that you saw it, like what, less than a year ago? Yeah,
0: I've seen it very yeah. recently, Sheppy. And, you know, funny enough, I even after two viewings, I'd sort of totally dismissed the gopher. I always say that the moment that it broke for me <laughs> wasn't that early and it was the the chase through the university. You you were that that, that yeah. lovely little touch where you've got a painting of Brody <laughs> in the background. You're like, Oh, nice touch, Stephen. That's lovely. You remember to <laughs> Have a little grace of Marcus Brody No, no, no. The statue (laughs) of Brody and the fountain, and it's critical to the action sequence because the head (laughs) goes off, I think, and knocks out one of the goons, and you're like, oh, no. That's that's insane. Really overlaid that. That
1: was so, so funny. I know. know. You know what? That was my, I guess, yeah, like I'm always for trying to give second chances. And the gopher was like, well, there, there you are, the writing's on the wall. But then I guess that the the marker's head was the final nail for me. So I think it worked yeah. in that sense. Then you just go with it. When they showed that photo of Sean Connery, be like, pity about Dad?" And he's like, "I think it's him from the Oscars." Um, <laughs> so with that in mind, it's really badly judged.
0: I actually don't he mind the whole bridge like thing Connery. at the beginning. I actually quite like the opening, and um, I quite like
1: what's the opening
0: where where they're in that sort of nuclear bunker. And then, has, oh, oh, and then sure. he's running around and he's going into all these fake houses. And there's... Yeah, that's a good... Yeah. And, and OK, it's a bit gimmicky how the fridge light goes through the air and then he gets out.
1: Is of it. the so, fridge escape um, any different than the inflatable raft yeah, exactly. escape?
0: I agree. One I feel way. it's on the same level of ludicrousness as that. Yeah, yeah. So I...
1: yeah not so much at even landing in the water but it going from the plane and landing on the slope and everything that you know and, it, and because if they did it where the plane scrapes the snow and they jump and bounce then and then the plane goes off to the side and explodes that would work for me but the, it's the it's a fool from the plane it's a proper parachute moonraker fool and then they open up and then just land it's not even like you don't even have a shot of it being like really cartoony and unrealistic but it turns into like a feather and floats for, for a second and acts like a parachute it just goes Tonk! on the floor and their guts will come out their neck so um but we'll get to temple but spoiler i don't care about it that all of that, that so my point being i'm fine with that so i'm also fine with nuke the fridge yeah Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um...
0: Yeah, look. but I
1: will say the bit at the beginning that I do remember just before that I think is Indy I think and maybe this other guy like a Russian are on the thing like the test pilot thing that shoots you forward super fast on the rail yeah, and in yeah. the seats um, and I always thought it was a mistake they're both like pinned back by the G-Force but I thought it was a wasted opportunity that maybe the guy would get a gun and he's like trying to point it at Indy, but the G40, he's really struggling with his hand and Indy sees it and Indy's sort of really struggling to kind of punch him, but he can't do it. So he has to sort of like lift, lift up his foot or something and just slowly, slowly push him off the edge and the guy's still just trying to get the gun and it's almost pointing at Indy and he's like, Arr! and then he goes Whoop! and just goes off the edge. That would be amazing. <laughs> um, and it's a missed opportunity by Spielberg. So there you go. That, that sums up Crystal Skull. I don't think we need to talk too much more. Jonesy, no. I'm over no. here. Now I'm over here. I'm not even acting in this scene. What's going on? What am I going to have for lunch? Jonesy. So what, that's enough at that for lunch. Now, I'm going to say this. From now on, I so I totally acknowledge Crystal Skull and, and, and I have hopes for Dial of Destiny. Don't like that name. But fair enough. Here we are. Um but from now on I'm gonna refer to this as like as you know as a standalone trilogy because it is a standalone trilogy and they are of a piece. So so I think I'm justified, so I don't want anyone to be like, Why well, yeah, I'm gonna you know, that that this is what I'm referring to. And especially also, spoiler, my film is nineties. So it you know, I'm gonna say it's ninety four, so it's five years later. So it's but it's still of the piece. So um so there you go. By the way, wouldn't it be an interesting thing, this isn't where I went at all, but if in the 90s, like Bond, let's say every three or four years, not even Spielberg came back because he wants to do like Amistad and shit, but like Harry does come back and they have like one, Howard does one, Zemeckis does one, uh, Joe Dante, why not? Um, and they're all of a piece and they don't get too silly. Joe Dante, you might think, but no, you know, it's, it's, they, they know what they're doing and they just made like four in the 90s. That would be nice, and just sort of into the early 2000s. Or well, they just never stopped, and different directors, but really, you know, ones who could conceivably do a good job, um, and it just continues. It. That would be...
0: That would have been really nice, actually, and I think that would have put some... taken some of the heat off how bad Skull was. I don't... Well, well it wouldn't have happened.
1: For, yeah. For better or not, um, it would never have happened if it had just continued. It would have gone down mm. another route. It'd be like Sliders. So... Um, and maybe Spielberg comes back, like uh, for for like the one in two thousand and eight. Spielberg does come back, but it's not Bristol Skull. It's you know, but and it's like, hey, Spielberg's back. That would be nice. So anyway, there you go. But. It, so getting to the meat of things now, though, unless there was anything else you wanted to mention about that, no,
0: I want to get to the meat of it because there's so much to say. I guess about the and we probably original yeah. Trilogy, yeah
1: well maybe when Dial of Destiny comes out, um, I'm sure we can record something and our thoughts about it. And when that happens, we can get really deep into the indie trilogy.
0: I think that's um, a good idea. because I've not really um, written anything down here. Me, neither, me neither, but I, I could I do hours and hours on yeah. each
1: one you know? <laughs> so let's say this quickly, as quickly as humanly possible. Um, that's not true, so it's not going to be remotely as quickly as humanly possible. What am I talking about? But let me say this. So there's Raiders of the Lost Dark, and I like it, and I know you like it, and it is my favourite of the three, and it is my favourite film of all time, so I do like it. Um, and I like it for lots of different reasons. And I like the villain and I, well, I like everything, obviously I like everything. Um, so that's nice. I will do a shout out to also having my favorite fist fight of all time. And I love a good fist fight in a film, but the one with Indy and Pat Roach, uh, <laughs> the, the broad Nazi and Indy fighting dirty and still getting his ass kicked. And Roach Nazi is fighting honorably and boxing and, he's, and um, it's wonderful. And then Roach gets it with the propeller um, and I assume it's just puree. You know, you see the splat. But I assume it's just puree from the waist up, and the legs just plop down. Is how I see it. I mean, from from that, it's not just a decapitation. It's a, and it's not. You know, it's going kind to of mince here It's going kind to of, pop. So that's nice.
0: Um, do you remember I've made a, a homage to that in mind, by the way, chefs. Absolutely. So, um,
1: yeah, man. Uh, look,
0: I wanted like. Still sticking with Raiders for the I need to ask him, like, I, I I must know this. I must know this in the Sheppie canon, but I'm assuming you went Temple first as well, though, right? Did you? Or were you Raiders? I saw
1: Raiders first, but not at the cinema. I, I think I've talked about this before, actually, but I will say I saw Raiders, I think, for the first time, Christmas, TV, Uncle John's house, snowing outside. I got a little bear puppet, and we watched Raiders, and when the melty faces happened, me and my mum went out to the corridor and stood by the stairs um so that was the first time so I had seen Raiders and I even it was we taped it probably so we had it at home and we watched it then so I did oh yes I was familiar with Raiders and we went to the cinema in 84 and saw Temple yes what about you you saw Temple first you did it in chronological order
0: I did <laughs> chronological order. I have to give Ian a massive shout out. Like I <laughs> the Temple of Doom and uh yeah, he took me to the cinema and you know, absolutely loved it. And you know, how wise it was, I don't know because I was a very sensitive young boy and I used to Willaram with it, yeah. <laughs> I used to think Willaram was waiting for me in my bedroom to take my heart out and stuff. But mm. I am. Um, Aside from that, I think I've said this before on the pod, but let me just say it again in 30 seconds, like, there's this amazing moment where Temple of Doom is out there. I've watched it twice at the cinema. I'm very excited. And then nice. he really flippantly, just over a, a Sunday roast or something, just says, of course, it's not as good as Razor of the Star. And I'm like, what <laughs> <And>, um, <laughs> like the whole weather the adventure? I didn't even know and yeah, <laughs> like, it's better. Like, oh, yeah, it's better. And um, yeah, so um, anyway, and I.
1: Well, let me ask you: When you did see Raiders, did you think it was better, or because you had seen Temple first?
0: Well, good question, Sheppy. I would have put them on a par, at least, if I'm being totally yeah, honest. Obviously, over the yeah. years, you know that some of the the. Um, the inflatable life raft floors have probably slightly diminished temple only only slightly but doesn't really matter you're still on the ride but but raiders the the all of them the layers of that onion have really just blossomed over the years and not they and just yeah it's uh it's,
1: i only really have um one real problem with temple and it's not the raft um it's it's just in some ways it tries to balance the darkness by going too zany a couple of times I don't mind the animals in the jungle with Willy, I guess it's really the end when they turn up at the village it lays on a bit thick and it gets sprayed with the elephant and then they kiss and it's a nice shot But and then everyone's clapping, it's like it's nice to have a really lovely triumph and happy ending, but it's you know, it's pure Spielberg, it's a bit much. And uh, it's a cool ending would have been nice when they, they come back to the village and it's really triumphant to the children, but it's not like, yeah, you know. Um, so that's really my main problem. Um, but everything else I'm fine with, really. And the beginning is absolutely amazing, so that's great. Um, away for temple! I saw it at the cinema, I liked it, it scared me, didn't see the pure uncut version in its entirety until dvds were available and i bought it from america and that was like 2000 or something so you know it was a long time before they saw the uncut version and famously in america they invented the pg-13 but they didn't invent the 12 of the pg-13 not to batman so they cut it James sperman so um it's still scary as shit and people still complained about it being too dark so they should have just kept it but there you go BBCA, um, but I liked it. I've seen it many times. Yes, Mulam, absolutely phenomenal villain, just terrifying. Those eyes. So oh, and gosh. and again, Vooch being another massive dude blacked up, which is a bit awkward, and having another massive fight with Indy, and having another horrible death, worse death because he goes in feet first. So yeah, that you know about trying. it.
0: Those eyeballs pop out. Oh God. Um,
1: yeah, his, <laughs> his his balls will pop out of his mouth, just squeezed out like toothpaste. Whoa.
0: Right up, yeah. I just cross my no fun. That, that. <laughs> just I know we're bouncing here, but just quickly, like talking villains, and just get it back to Raiders, and then just a quick, yeah. The same, like you, you, you called it out like one of the, if not the best, with Pat Roach fight of all time. Maybe. He, The best villain for this kind of thing ever i'm putting him above alan rickman belloc i really think Mm. he's the perfect yin yang sort of thing it's fantastic i just it's great he's a great great villain in raiders isn't he and he's just yes it's just it feels so real that's what i love about raiders it feels so real yeah
1: it's gritty and real and it's textured yeah yeah it's the same as new hope it's you can reach out and touch the grit um, yeah, the other two have different sort of levels of, of sort of gloss. Um, no, it's it's wonderful. And yes, Balog, Um, absolutely, bellon saw Paul Friedman in a pub once. He looked really awkward. Wow. Um, so yes, hooray for all of that. Now, I, and again, got to be careful because I, yeah, I could just talk about it forever. So, but I like it very much and I've seen it a few times, maybe four, four maybe even five times at the cinema of ages now. I didn't see it on the original run. But um, yeah, and I've had lovely experiences at all of them. But yes, I will say this. Last Crusade came out in eighty-nine. It has been established, Jimmy, that Last Crusade was the first film you and I saw together at the cinema, and it was uh, Cranley cinema, of course, summer, I believe, eighty-nine. And I remember it. I remember I remember a lot. And I also remember specifically, for example, when it's when the bit in the in, in the Ron Howells in the you know Austrian-Swiss border Germany shit. and it's revealed that the Nazis are there and he's like Nazis I hate these guys I remember in the cinema being oh shit Nazis are in it which would be impossible these days Um, partly due to me not being able to keep my sticky fingers off the internet but also you know it'd be on the posters and shit which be, I'm sure the swastika is actually on the poster but it's not right there I was too busy looking at Connery's bow tie so that's great um, what's your Two things <laughs> are that sticky.
0: One, you need to wash your hands, Mr. Sticky Fingers, occasionally. Mm-hmm. And then two, like just on the poster. I don't know why. Literally I had one note. The one thing I wrote down before this um, was just that I looked at the last crusade poster at one point. Um, I don't know, just in the last week or so. And then Elliott. Marcus Brody has got the top right frame of that poster. And look, he's a big character in that movie and he deserves to be on the poster. I'm really pleased he is. But, you know, in, if I put my old um, you know, classified sales uh, hat on, Sheppy, top right is where you want to be. Like, you know, Steve. Black, <laughs> well, on the poster. You know, it's really nice. Well, in fairness,
1: I didn't know that. If I, if I had, I hadn't registered. So they made the right decision, I guess, because they didn't take my attention away from everything else, like Connery's bow tie. But fair play. I love Denim Elliott in everything he's in and in real life, and God bless him. He's dead. He's long dead. But like, God bless him. Nonetheless, it you know, he is a different character in Last Crusade than he is in Raiders. He just is. And it's like, I'm, I wouldn't change it because, again, it supplied you and I with material for at least five years. That That whole... <laughs> It's it's, it's it's so us it's so choice, so with that in mind um, it's a it's a problem for me, but at the same time I wouldn't change it for the world so that's nice bringing back Salah, bringing back Marcus, doing the whole bit at the beginning in the classroom again it, it's a choice and having the Nazis it's a choice we've talked about this before I again, I love Last Crusades and I given the choice I actually wouldn't change the reality because I like Last Crusades so much but you know, I think it shouldn't have been like Raiders Two. It should have done its own thing. Because again, it's like the Mission Impossible trilogy, the first three. But each one has its own tone, and each one does have its own tone. But there are too many. It is like Raiders Light, and it's never going to compare. So do something else. You know, do something thir- Do a third style, and keep it light. But you know, that's my only thing um, about that. You I think- saw it twice in the same one
0: I did, Sheppy. I did, I love that film, I, I just love it, I I mean, they're all, like you said, we could go forever, couldn't we, on it, but it just, yeah. I think, when you were saying that though, like, with the grit of Raiders, and the darkness of uh, Temple, and that tone, and then you've got the gloss, I think, of like, The um, the, the Last Crusade, yeah. and, uh, and pound for pound, I think maybe of all movies of all time and i include you know i don't know your avengers end games or whatever and how well written they are and everything now but like pound for pound it's got the best like crowd-pleasing gags like you know it's just you really will get the impact of the gags in us crusade in a cinema packed where it's just you've got your brodie's found the grail already you've got your you know uh, some they got us or whatever with the tail of the plane like you know there's
1: about 10
0: bangers aren't there like really yeah. bring the house down gags like you know yeah. really oh,
1: massively you and, know tears were streaming well speaking of that sort of banger the the the, uh, she talks in her sleep, I wanted to mention anyway, because that's genius. But it's one of those things where it's really funny and it's a really good line, and Connery delivers it perfectly. But what triples its laugh is Indy's reaction. And what he does is what Dell and Rodney do for 90% of the jokes the reaction, which is the nodding, like, yeah, and then stopping, but what? Yeah, you plonker, or whatever. It's the reaction, but the delayed reaction, and seeing them work it out. I think Indy, doing Adele Boy and nodding, and uh, yeah, that would make sense. And then do, working it out and looking at Connery. Um, that's that's gold and amazing. And Ford is absolutely brilliant. They, they all are, but Ford is absolutely amazing in all of them, but yeah, good stuff.
0: So nice, yeah.
1: I saw Julian Glover. So I, I, I haven't met Muller because he was too busy lurking in the abog. But I'll say this, I was walking down Guildford <laughs> passed a little churchy thing on the way to the even Arno, where presumably Glover was coming from. We passed in that little cobble bit going up the hill um, around the corner past the church. And I was like, hello, Julian Glover. love you and for your eyes only. And he said, thanks very much. I think Topper was better. I'm like, well, obviously. And then we parted ways. So Did there
0: really you really say something to him and say that? No. Oh, really?
1: I said it with my eyes. <laughs> I said it all with my eyes. And <laughs> then I said, See <laughs> you in Game of Thrones in 10 years. Yeah, he knew. He saw it. He saw it. He saw it all. And he liked it. He's in Doctor Who. He's in two Doctor Who's, one Hartnell, one Tom Baker. And he's brilliant in the Tom Baker one. Absolutely brilliant. Anyway, good old last crusade. But I will say, Donovan is easily the weakest of the three villains. Mulleram and Belloc, we've established, are absolutely the best villains of all time. Donovan
0: is very forgettable. I, I think the, um, you know those moments at the end of the movie where they're having a fight, the baddie and the goody, and then there's genuine peril. I love the end of Temple of Doom for that. Like, the stakes yeah. are so high. The bridge is so rickety. The crocodiles are so <laughs> snappy. And most importantly, Smulleram <laughs> really looks like he's going to pull Indy's heart out of his chest and it's heart-stopping, yeah. man. I... In love the yeah. end of that movie. I think it's brilliant.
1: And that laugh Milleram gives. And then the satisfying kind of oh, when he pulls the hand back and then whacks him. Very mm. nice. And then Mullah's so horrible, and Spielberg always pretends to be fluffy, but the evidence is right there. He's got such a vicious streak. And when Mularam he gets smacked a few times by Jones, burns his hand, falls off, and then and he doesn't just fall down and get eaten. He falls down and scrapes and bounces down the wall. Like, he's lost a nipple, you know he's lost an ear. And then he goes in, and then he's still screaming when that crocodile rolls over, presumably ripping his chest off. So I'm, I'm a big fan of that. And David Fincher did the matte painting, so there you go. Oh, that's amazing.
0: That's so nice. Yeah. I didn't know that about Fincher. That's amazing.
1: Mm. Yes.
0: What's the, um, um, Your order, Sheppy, does it go Raiders Temple Crusade?
1: It does, but I will say this: Temple and Crusade for me are basically even. Um, they both have their uh, massive, massive strengths, and both have things that I don't like so much. But fundamentally, I think they're both absolutely brilliant on all levels. Um, you know, Temple, if I had to choose, does pip it because of Mularam, because it's so fucking dark. The spikes bit is is amazing coming through the you know all that. All of it, I love it. I don't even mind Willy, although she's my least favourite of the three girls. But, you know, she's fine, and she does sock that guy at the end, and he falls off the minecart. Minecart seems amazing. So anyway, uh, yes, I really love Temple. But I will say, Last Crusade, for tank bit, that's probably my favourite bit in the film. I mean, uh, there's so many good bits, but just that bit, it's like the truck in Raiders. It's such a good sequence, and Indy just taking on a fucking tank and winning uh it's really good and again Spielberg's vicious side with that cunt who's stuck in the truck which is right next to the gun of the tank and you don't see him turn to jam when the tank fires but you know he does that's uh, wonderful yes so hooray for that we saw that film a lot on video you had it bought i believe and um, but we watched it a lot it was on tv Christmas early 90s watched it with my fam again but not at not Uncle John's place this time Um, And that was nice. Actually, I remember as the credits were coming up at the end and um, the credit was like Marcus Brody, Denham Elliott. And this was like 1994, maybe, maybe 93. And my sister said, uh, Denham Elliott, but I thought he was dead. And my brother quite rightfully said, this isn't live. Um, And so that's another memory I have connected to this film. Um, So that's (laughs) really nice. like that. Um, So yes faithful so are there any other thoughts
0: jam oh i need a million oh, i can say one quick point you just triggered a memory for me shepard i hadn't thought about in ages and then i just want to ask you quickly about the score as well but um, just on the memory point i uh i remember I, I, when i very luckily was taken to florida with um my man Mutti. And on the flight over, we watched Last Crusade on the flight, back in the old days when the flight oh, wow. was projected onto the plane. Oh, but old like days Were people smoking as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, um, and then basically, so we watched that, and I think she must have seen him before or whatever anyway, and then we get to one of the Disney shows, and there's an Indiana Jones Live thing, so we watched that. And afterwards, she just made a really interesting point. I go... What do you think? What do you think? I, I said I thought the indie was good, and she goes, "Yes, he was. He really, he captured his walk. and I thought that was just a really interesting ah. thing because, like, indie has a walk and a sort of a way yeah. about it me. Like, I just thought that's a nice observation. But, um, but anyway, uh, but she's where,
1: where such you- an interesting character. That's um, a wonderful memory. And let me say before I forget, um, Copenhagen. Speaking of, and I don't know if it was the unlawful entry trip or not maybe let's say it was um but yeah we saw this poster for temple of doom and it's the one where he's just it's just him standing in the entrance and lit by the lava glow um and we saw it and we were looking at all the posters we loved that shit we were looking at all of that we're like ooh that's a bit tasty and i and now i don't know if you ha- if you remember this differently but i was like oh that's nice but i didn't get it and we left and then maybe it was like the last night and we were going to be in that area again i was like oh i don't know if i should get that indie poster it's, it's good, but oh, I don't know, I don't know, Oh, And you said, well, you know, and the, it had like the, um, this tagline, you know, if adventure has a name, it must be Indiana Jones on it. And I remember I was like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. And you said, hey, Sheppy, think about this. It's really good. It's a great poster. It's really big. Well, it's good on your bedroom wall. And the tagline is so cool. You know, if adventure has a name, it must surely be Indiana Jones. And you did that. And it was the way you said surely, I was like, oh, yeah, man. Damn it money on the counter, I'm getting that poster and I get the poster and I'm so glad I did and it was on my bedroom wall for years and years and years and it came back up And like I think I put it up at uni as well at some point um, we'll say, tagline no, there's no surely in there at all surely you can be serious it's literally, yeah if adventure has a name it must be in Johnny Jones but I'm glad you totally fabricated and manipulated my soul because I'm glad I got the poster, but there you go uh, moral of the story, can't trust anyone
0: Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> have you still got that poster you...
1: somewhere I never threw it away yeah, that's for sure that's you nice. know and it's in better con- condition than my rocketeer I'll tell you that do you remember that and do you remember I remember that? that
0: whole thing I don't remember inserting surely but um, <laughs> I, I do uh, I do remember the poster and I do remember the dither over the weather to buy and then um, i do remember how cool it was i do remember it on your bedroom wall for sure i was very jealous of it to be honest. yeah it's one of those things like if, i guess if you're two teenage girls like buying dresses and you go into a dress shop and one of them pins the best dress like you know what i mean with her eyes and tries it on then it's kind of theirs isn't it do you know what i mean you can't then go and try it on too you can't Flirt with it it's a bit you, you had your eyes on the poster it wasn't really for me to say I wouldn't mind it as well it was,
1: so was, if uh, you if you had played your cards differently and you, and you hadn't have said surely and I'd be like you know what I'm not going to get it then you might have been like you know Chevy maybe I'll get it and I would be like oh okay and then secretly I would be seething and maybe yeah. never forgive you but you would have been justified <laughs> that you could get it all because you did just saying, right now, you could be telling the story. It could be hanging behind you right now, if only you hadn't said, surely. I hope that eats you up at night.
0: It, it does, Sheppy. And I feel that, um, you know, maybe one night when we were watching a local entry or something, and I might have fallen asleep before the ending, I'd wake up, and there might be a little moustache on my indie or something like, that. Just little, yeah. <laughs> like It wasn't me with a spyro in his pocket. And, uh, <laughs> But yeah anyway <laughs> hey man what like should we just give williams a quick moment on the score before yes. we get to the pitches because holy bloody moly what a score and all the little yeah. twinkles and tinkles and bits and bobs around it i just bloody love it i love it love it do you because you're much better at this stuff than me do you have like a sort of a variation on the theme that you love particularly sort well i mean first of all
1: of overall i should i will say i love all three scores they're all amazing um my favourite is Raiders again. But um the, the as in terms of variations on the theme, it's definitely temple. ba bam 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 ba ba ba. I mean that's not a variation on the theme, but that's for temple music, and that's great. But how but in terms of the indie theme and everything, yes, certainly, certainly. Wonderful. Yeah, but I have been singing the Last Crusade sort of anthem recently. I I can't actually get it now because I've got the Temple of Doom in my mind. But if it comes back, I'll give it a shout. But um, but that's that's really good. And by the way, that opening so fucking good in Last Crusade, and and River Phoenix, he fucking gets the walk. I'll tell you that for nothing. He is a fucking mimic. Brilliant. The whole performance, brilliant. Yeah. Very nice.
0: It's amazing.
1: Yeah. Amazing. Well, I will say quickly. You no, know, no, please, no. Actually, I won't. No, say no, no, it,
0: no. Please. Don't worry. It's, I was. I was, didn't know whether to give you a tease, and I'm. <laughs> I'll say that I'm going to play with his hat as well in my interest. Okay. So that's
1: nice. So, yeah. Actually, I was going to give a tease. We were both going to give a tease, and then we both hesitated. I like that. <laughs> well, in that case, I'll give a tease just in terms of uh, um, there were certain things like I, I, I became sort of aware of the more you think about it, um, and I'll get to it in more detail later. But just little things where, for example, no, 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 but no. No, but
0: you know, I'm keeping all this in because this is the real stuff. This (laughs) is the juice, Sheppy. (laughs)
1: I'll get to it. I'll get to it. But yeah, yeah, no, um, totally. One thing I will say, and this isn't about mine, but just something I should mention. Well, I guess it is about mine in that I don't do this. But uh in each of the films, Indy is always like scoffing and skeptical about the mythology. And then he finds out that it's real at the end. And that's fine for raiders. It doesn't work in because of Temple. But if you're just like, okay, well they didn't, you know, that's Temple's mistake and and everything. So in in terms of raiders, he doesn't know and then it happens and he's like, fucking out. Um but then it happens in Temple and it happens in Last Crusade, where the person gets the ultimate thing, the baddie gets it, and he can't control it, or it turns on him and it destroys him. Basically, and I tried to sort of avoid that like, yeah, a little bit. So, so there you go. Yeah.
0: Nice, Sheppy. Nice. I, I sort of have done that as a as a, as a stupid nod in mind, in being difficult again when it shouldn't be. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah no. Yeah, it's, it's something that I, I just like tried not to, to think about a little bit, you know, just because it's like, fine, but again, Temple, I will forgive, and it's prequel, and then it invalidates Raiders, but it's like, fine, on Temple's own merit, and on Raiders' own merit, it works as an isolated incident, and it's like, okay, fine. When it happens in Last Crusade, it's so throwaway, He's like, <laughs> you know, he's talking about the... You know, everlasting life (laughs) it's like there's no need for it spielberg i reckon said to him you better throw this in because this is what we do now but it's stupid at this point he should be your everlasting life "Hmm, okay hmm, maybe you know so that that annoys me and i think did you point this out or did someone point this out i don't know but in in last crusade when he does the rubbing of the shield um, and it, at the beginning in, in Donovan's office, he does half the shield and gets half the rubbing. But then when he goes into the crypt in Venice, he, um, there's the shield, the, the full shield, and he gets the, 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 you know, the rubbing out and then he fills in the other half. But it's like, well, why not just get a whole new sheet of paper and do the whole thing? You'll have the whole thing. You won't have the stupid line around it. You know, it's, it's one of those stupid things that it's done for the audience. But it's like, it makes no sense. It's 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 worse. That you did that than as if you just you've got a whole piece of paper yourself. So I, I want to mention that. Also, they're standing in petroleum. The guy drops a match in it, which sets it all off. But Indy's walking around with this massive flaming stick. But that's not a very good idea. And bits of fire are falling off the flaming torch. And it's like, well, they're all dead long ago. So that's a laugh. I don't care. I'm happy, but I'm just pointing it out. Temple of Doom, I've mentioned this before, Blood of Kali turns you evil. Can we assume that any of the guards in, in Munarab's place, that some of them at least are under the, the the Black Sleep's curse. And yet Indy's throwing them off left, right, and centre into that lava pool, as they fall and they burst into fire, are they suddenly like, oh my god, I'm okay, I can go home and see my wife and kids. Oh my god, this isn't really old oh, fuck. And then they land in the lava. Still a beast, statistically, at least a few, if not all. So there you go. Gutted. Gutted. Indy <laughs> didn't think that
0: that's amazing I forgot I I remember that observation now that you make it and I love it it's such a good word I'm going to use that at the pub all the time now and I will give you credit every time I promise I love it
1: by the way I think in the novelization of Temple of Doom they talk about um some at some point Mulleram sort of starts to come out of something and something like what what and you're like oh no Mulleram's under the black sleep so there's like an uber puppet master maybe in the next film or something like that is in the novelization who knows if that was in the original script or if that was just the, the person who wrote it having a laugh but there you go that's probably worth it with me
0: amazing all right, ships. Shall we just do it? Shall we go? I think we should just. Mine's start.
1: really, really long. <laughs> <Yeah>. oh, <laughs> <what>? <laughs> it's really long, Jim. I couldn't help it.
0: It's going to wallow in the indiness of it. And I know you'll have lots of lovely beats and stuff on it. Look, mine is a tiny bit longer than normal. Um, I have done the classic, like the opening, you know, in media res. Mega, like really gone for that. So don't be too alarmed. And then um I'm really excited. And Jimmy. it will really i, I really—I let go of the rope a little at the end and just go bish bash bosh, literally, and then uh, and, and and kind of get to the ending. And and I haven't even given you the cast. I'm not giving you the cast because I just want the <laughs> I oh, nice. there to be surprises, and I also want there to be—it'll
1: be like the Nazi reveal. Thank you, Jimmy. You're saving me from my own sticky fate. <laughs>
0: And I also don't want the the, the fury of the listener and, and or your good self, Shepley, where I just do not do any justice to the main villain at all. Like he comes in and you like, <laughs> oh, wow. And uh, and then I just assume they would obviously more time workshop that up and make him awesome. So, um, yeah.
1: <laughs> the, the curse of Julian Glover as I live and breathe
0: i'm just gonna go for it shep so i'm gonna jump in nice. i'm gonna bloody go for it so we have got um let me get to the top here yeah so all right all right so, i'm
1: so excited i can't tell you i feel honestly like i'm sitting in regal cinema in cranley in 89 with the red curtains and they're about to open and and we're oh. gonna get the munchies that's um i am in.
0: i love that shep it will let me tell you on your bbfc poster it says, Indiana Jones and the Island of Lost Souls, uh, Ooh, PG. Good, <laughs> yes. <laughs> off by all the appropriate people whose names I've forgotten with their cool little white on black signatures. And, nice. Uh, Hopefully
1: it's post-Ferman.
0: <laughs> yes. And uh, 1993. And, oh, nice. Uh, yeah, Steven Spielberg, so directing. And as I said, that's all you're getting, otherwise you'll be furious.
1: And okay.
0: uh, it's, a, it's a similar structure to Temple. It's got this sort of, it's a cousin of Temple rather than being a cousin of the other two in many ways. And, and there's, well, well stop, talking. That's great. So um, the opening, and I guess over the credits, we're in a, um, a Shanghai market, or, or at least a neighbouring to Shanghai market. Um, and it's just—it's a bit Blade Runnery, almost. Honestly, it's just raining, and it's sort of not that sort of beautiful, sunny that we normally get with an indie opening. Um, the market's full of life, but noodles and crab shells and pig faces.
1: <laughs> You've Brilliant.
0: been right—you've seen the pig faces. Yeah, I've seen you know. the pig faces. <laughs> and, um, and we follow Weber Dan Aykroyd through the market.
1: Oh, amazing! Um,
0: uh, until he reaches a, um, a shacky little makeshift cafe. And then we reverse shot and we see the back of a man at a makeshift table in, the, in at this cafe. And this person is leafing through a book, one of those uber cool ones that's all moleskin and has really specific detailed drawings. If we could leaf through it ourselves, we would see it is describing the various traps of Emperor Qin Cha Huang. I'm probably butchering that. It's a very famous <laughs> Chinese emperor. Um, a real-life tomb that's been dormant for some 2,000 years. And if you Google it, Sheppy, um, has a lot of urban myth wrapped around it in terms of booby traps and whatnot. Oh, nice. um, Webber's a little out- <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Webber's a little out of breath. And he gives it a, Dr. Jones, they're ready for you. Indy nods. Next, the rest of his nondescript drink out of his tumbler, picks up his hat, and we follow the pair as they jump in the back of Weber's car the short distance to an area with some tents and portable phones and stuff.
1: And also, is Indie like, wearing, sorry, is, is indie, indie
0: wearing, it's for Indie? Yeah, right. in full Indie gear, yes.
1: Has it said what year it is yet?
0: Yeah. Uh, it has, it should be, and I actually thought about this. This is post-war. I'll just give you that, right. it's 1946 for sake of argument.
1: Does um, it come up at this point or does it come up later? Yeah, when, when do you say, take Yeah, order? let's do
0: the title card, 46. Yeah, nice, Okay, that's nice, yeah. Um, I love the business of archaeology and raiders, you know, that kind of vibe when mm-hmm. um, they're doing the picking the pickaxing and stuff and it's like and, yeah. and silhouetted Indy and all that and I just I just love that, I love the, the business of
1: it. I sing that song sometimes when I'm walking along <laughs> I'm not going to now although I want to <laughs> um,
0: So um, Weber uh, leaves Indy to enter the tomb and from from this little camp area they've got there. And um and, and Weber goes into a tent, makes a call, and says it's time over the call. And there's nothing given here, but we're wondering, you know, he's basically it's a betrayal call on Indy, this it feels it's got all the vibes and the staging and look of it. Um perhaps there's some collateral we're just as an audience sort of thinking, why would Weber be betraying Indy? You know, maybe there's some something being held on web over, over this and he's working for someone else we don't know but anyway um indy walks through chin chow wang's uh, tomb and he's got an aid and i've got here an early hollywood cameo from chow yun Fat. Um, nice. and this tomb is stunning Sheppy. replicas of palaces and pavilions heaps of gold and jewelry um lots of crucially i have put here lots of several deactivated traps and smash terracotta soldiers from um a whole wall of the tomb um and they, they basically some tripwire activated crossbows have launched their arrows and i wanted to take like temple opens in a really interesting way to think about like Indies collected the bounty and we're seeing the other side of it and i just wanted to kind of step just a couple of strides backwards where everything in the tomb is has been unlocked the adventures happened over a combo of indie scrapes and maybe some other characters have been involved and supported him over the last few days as they really worked this tomb out, and we're now at the bouncy moment. So I just wanted to just open it in a slightly different. Yeah, time.
1: that's really nice.
0: And, um, and so uh, I've got an Indian Chow Young Fat. I'm just calling him Chow. Indian Chow spot yeah. the tomb of Chin Chow Wang, and um, Chow says in Mandarin, "Indy, look, the tomb. We have him." Indy, because he's Nails, understands the Mandarin, and because he's Harrison Ford, instead of responding, he just gives it a Harry point before they go right (laughs) for the tomb. (laughs) Show me a better pointer in the movie biz, and I'll show you a liar.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's established.
0: Uh, uh, And I said, in fact, oh, God, this is so true. In fact, that's probably why Dr. Jones is such an enigmatic lecturer. He wouldn't even need a clicker in the 21st century. Anyway, enough about Indy's point. Um, in the open says we skin flicks to a page with all sorts of scribbles on it including a beautiful uh, drawing of this tube. you can see it's exactly the same one and starts to feel around the bottom of this uh, very ornate casket outside the area outside the complex a smart black car not a limo i don't really i didn't really look for anything um you know uh time specific but um but it's big enough to have a plush seat in it um in the back and crucially for in a bit, um, a divider between the driver and the passengers. Um, Lau Che gets out of the car with a. Couple oh my back-ups. god! The same fella from Temple that survived, and maybe I put Al Leung from Die Hard and everything in the eighties and nineties.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, and, sure.
0: <laughs> and um, and Lau nods at Weber, and uh, and Weber like does a little gulp, you know, because he's just a bit nervous. So he's kind of the, the assumption being he's on Lau's pay. Back to the tomb, Indy finds a lever underneath Chin Chiu Wang's tomb and pulls it. The ground opens up and the tomb flips and tumbles into it, all the gold, treasure, all that ornate stuff tumbles with it and Chow says no out loud and Indy doesn't react. A beat later, one of the stone slabs on the floor starts to rise, stops at chest height and Indy starts to feel around it until he gets a purchase and pushes out an inner stone that smashes on the floor to reveal a titanium or at least very robust urn absolutely intact and undamaged at this point we just hear a very slow clap from the uh, from the entrance to the tomb and Lao Chase says Dr. Jones congratulations again you have desecrated another of our sacred temples again and now finally you must pay and um, and remembering that Jones had retrieved the remains of, was it Niraki? I can't remember the name of the yeah, yeah, yeah. He's
1: a real little guy.
0: It's, so so Che is something of a collector. Um, and uh, could it be? Could it be? I don't normally do this, but give me this little break. From. Could it I'm be? i loving it. We knew this might be a helpful bait for allow. Anyway, mm-hmm. to be continued. Mm-hmm. Outside the complex, um, a motorbike arrives. The figure on it is wearing a helmet. And jumps off the bike and actually approaches the back of this, um, you know, uh, fancy pants car that Charles, uh, that uh, Lau Chase arrived in. Um, the figure from the motorbike puts gas through the tailpipe, not hosepipe for Beverly Hills Cop fans out there. The tailpipe, <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice, nice callback to <laughs> <It's like, laughs> Sog fan. Um, so he puts a little gas tube through the um, tailpipe of Lau's fancy pants car. And, and then runs round to the front window and knocks on the window. Um, the goon driver of the car kind of looks across and just grunts at the motorcyclist. The motorcyclist removes his helmet and it's a teenage short round and he gives oh. a big cheesy wave and then before the goon can gather his wits, he's out cold from the gas. Shorty whips around the back of the vehicle, removes the, uh, the hose from the pipe um, and then opens the door of the car to uh to get rid of the smoke and pushes the goon onto the passenger side of the car. Jay has the urn um and uh, and says something like, I think Dr. Jones, you must be very tired. I think you should both rest here too now. And um and Chao Yan Fat um like is not happy with this, runs at Al Leung, ready to attack him, and Indy yells, Chow! And uh Al Leung just switches his frame trips chow and in midair breaks chow's neck showing wow. how triple nails he is as chow lands he knocks another lever of this tomb and um and suddenly things start to move and the original tomb comes back out from under the floor um empty of its jewels now flips back over the big pole goes back down again sure. and the attempt to total raiders rip off the temple itself oh, i love it rumble um and the walls also start to turn around in the big long corridor they've come down. Everybody panics. Lau and his two make a run for it. Indy goes to check on Chow first, then also makes a run for it. It's about 30 seconds behind them. The original walls with those terracotta soldiers now um, basically those crossbows flip around. There's a whole new set of crossbows. Um, and those bows from the other side of the wall are loaded and ready to make sure anyone who managed to get into the tomb, definite tomb, sorry. Definitely isn't getting out again. That original child, uh, Lao Che Lackey gets caught by one of the arrows, but Lao and Leong make it out of the the, the tomb um, to the camp area, which is now basically just almost um, clear. Um, and Lao take uh, tells them to get word that they have the remains, and Lung just starts running down the street back into the market, and Lao jumps back into his car with the urn, and um, and Shorty steps on it for him. Um, Indy is just behind them and pursues on short rounds of the original motorbike. And Lau is giving the faster, faster um through the panel, um, but Shorty in his own little way is sabotaging and just sort of, you know, uh, taking his foot off the accelerator every now and again so Indy can catch them. Lau starts to get wise to the tactical decelerations of his driver, opens the divider and puts his gun to Shorty's head. Meanwhile, Indy on the motorbike has whipped the, um, the Fancy Pants car and has the bumper mm-hmm. tethered. He's about to try and jump onto the car and has a clean line of sight for the jump. Lao Che cocks his gun. Shorty scrunches his eyes in the Uber Shorty way and accelerates yeah. just as Indy jumps. It's obviously not a clean land. And Indy, Indy ends up effectively tethered to the back of the car, kind of basically water skiing on Shorty's bike, being dragged through the streets. Nice. Lots of cool stunts and chicanery. Vic Armstrong earning every penny.
1: <laughs>
0: and uh, put, of course, is a moment where Shorty applies the brake just as much as he can with Indy tethered. And Che, with the urn in one hand and gun in the other, loses balance and falls backwards in his seat. It looks like Indy is going to finally be able to get into the car only for the original driver, Goon, that Shorty knocked out with the gas to wake up, start wrestling Shorty, making the driving even more erratic. At the moment where it looks like all is lost, Shorty rounds a corner into a wall of police cars and pulls to a break. Weber is standing with the police, and with a classic bait and switch, they've managed to finally bring Lau down. Um, and Lau is cuffed up, and as he's being cuffed, our man Al Leon arrives in the crowd on a scooter to witness his boss being arrested. Che catches, his, uh, catches Al Leung's eye, and uh, his nose twitches in blind fury <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and lung nods. And so that's basically been the little mission between Never well, and Indeed, to finally bring down that.
1: I'm so glad you didn't, because your plan totally worked. Because I did keep genuinely forgetting that this was probably going to happen. Like, I right, you said it had temple vibes and then you said Shanghai. And I thought, oh, that's interesting that he went back to Shanghai. Didn't even think about it. And then everyone popping up. Joy, the, the, the taking off the helmet and it's short round. Everything, 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 everything. That's what I say. So yes, wonderful. Um... Oh,
0: thanks, very man. Happy. I peaked, just to be clear, but thanks, man.
1: By the um, way, do you have an idea? And I don't for mine, but do you have an idea of what the font is when it comes up at the beginning? Because I know you're a big font fan, but by definition, it is different font in all of the Jones films. I'm going so temple. We...
0: This is a real temple cousin, which okay, So yeah, we just replicate that everything. But well, the... does that
1: mean that someone stands or something blocks Cause in temple when it comes up, Willie? Really, is standing in it's front blocking idea, it. Isn't it. It is. It's a genius idea. You don't have to do that again, but it. But It, it is a genius idea. Oh,
0: I have to think about that, Shep, so I'm going to come back to you on it. But I like where you're going. I yes. like where you're going. Maybe I don't think it should be down Aykroyd. So I'm just thinking. I'm just trying to think who should block it. But we'll, we'll I'll come back to you. I'll come you back. To
1: I Can um, I also say during this little moment that so this is '93 and it's Spielberg in terms of substitution and also we can't take jurassic
0: and schindler's off the board can we
1: jesus maybe we can move it like (laughs) but i don't know schindler's can be like 94 i don't think that's disrespectful (laughs) is it and then doing indie so jurassic then or even starting jurassic earlier so that comes out late 92 it's like christmas 92 is jurassic giving Last Action Hero time to breathe. Maybe we
0: we trade it. I think this should be 92, actually, to finish Shepi, three years after. And then did you say you're 95, 94?
1: 94, I'm 94. So I'm sacrificing, in terms of Ford, I'm sacrificing potentially Clear and Present Danger. Uh, Historically, Ford does one film a year. Um, If you're doing 92, if it was 93, you'd be sacrificing The Fugitive, and 92 is Patriot Games. Wow. but you know, it's all tricky. I knew that. Um yeah. I can live with Patriot, frankly. But but you know, yeah, fugitive and patriot games. But maybe instead of regarding Henry, Ford did Patriot games and everything is okay. So let's let's yeah. be okay with that.
0: <laughs> I like it. I always love that haggle.
1: <laughs> um, it's a good haggle. It's a Larry Haggle.
0: It's a Larry Haggle. Um, okay, so then this is then the post sort of denouement moment of this, the opener, and we've got an exchange between Indy and Weber at the docks. You know, the old problematic, the the urn belongs in a museum type chat, um, and um, and and Weber confirms, you know, he's he's sorted out Indy's transfer, um, and and Indy's going to be going by boat effectively um, this time, and uh, and Weber says something. Like, the captain says he knows you, a, a, a Katanga. Uh, and Shorty's uh, like with them at the docks as well and he says Indy can I come with you and Indy's like kid you got to stay in school and don't do anything I wouldn't do and he gives him a Harry wink mm. uh, you know I've got a boat to catch so Shorty is just a, a, a you know an opening sequence right.
1: well, lovely yeah. stuff and also nice um, yeah nice Katanga shout out as well, well so that's this
0: nice. is it we've got the little Indian Katanga reunion happening right now just before mm. Indy's about to board the boat Sheppy. And, uh, and, it, and perhaps it's like, hey, Indiana Jones, how in the hell are you not dead yet? And, uh, and just, I ask myself the same question every day. And uh, he goes, i got to ask you, what's in Haiti? Hell of a crossing. Like that. so that's where we're going to spend our time, by the way, Sheppi Um Oh, nice. And, uh, and he just says, oh, colleague of mine needs my help. And uh, Katanga says, well, there's no Gestapo on your back nowadays. And, uh, and he says, no, no, just digging. Got to pay the bills. And we can see Katanga's ship is more cruise liner from the 40s now. Like it's not, a, it, he's not. He nice. got a cargo ship as well. Um, even it might even be a pool on it, Sheppy. And um, and as they're chatting, a family with an annoying kid and loads of gear, sort of are trying to get onto the gangway up onto the ship. And um, and maybe the mum is really flustered, and she's like, "Don't lose the balloon, George, George, George! Don't lose <laughs> the balloon!" And of course, George immediately lets go of his balloon, and Indy catches it in a cool way and hands it back to the kid. And he goes, I can see, and to Katanga. He says, I can see you're not running cargos anymore. And Katanga yeah. says, got to pay the bills for that. And anyway, yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, we, uh, we pull back, pull back, and as Indy gets onto the boat, we reveal like you know that uh, our man Aldon is also boarding the boat too, and um, and uh, to get his revenge for Lao Che. And um, the map tracker then is about the boat, not the plane, and it takes
1: lovely for
0: for Haiti, Haiti? Haiti Haiti. Um, we see Indian new gear here, Sheppy. I've said boat indie in the evening is a bit like temple Maharaja dinner indie. Um, I'd like to think Indy by the ship's pool is rocking the coolest budgie smugglers <laughs> and asleep <Aunt> <laughs> with the smugglers on and his hat looking nails anyway
1: wow. yeah why not live it up <sighs>
0: And, uh, there's a moment when Indy is talking with um, Katanga in the evening in his temple style wear, uh, Maharaja temple wear. Spots um, Al Leong in the crowd, and Al's obviously looking like he always does, very um, evil and ready to kill him. Um, and I've just put they have an Uber chase fight on the boat. Indy gets his ass absolutely handed to him. Mm-hmm. This is my little um, nod to you know that that uh, fight in Raiders ships with the. Uh, uh, with with basically Indy being absolutely out for totally going to be bit, beaten, um, manages somehow in the fight to um, attach Lung um, to something that then just catches him, flips him, and takes him over the back of the boat into the boat turbine. So it's a little bit of a a nod to that first, to, to, to the Raiders fight, but it's just a sequence, a scene that's just kind of a, yeah. a little bolt onto the Lao bit. And then we have our main bulk of the movie where basically Indy then arrives in, in Haiti and is met by Angela Bassett, who we're going to oh, call nice. Angela. Um, and um, she's she's just coming off the back of uh, Boys in the Hood. And um, she and Indy have some chemistry and um she drives Indy to uh, the the local village and to a very grand house. And Indy enters the house and is examining various pictures and artifacts. And um and basically the professor he's come to help, and I'm calling the Professor Jim Earl, played by James Earl Jones, just to help you with oh, all the yeah. characters, Sheppy. Um so it's Professor Earl. Because he's
1: not getting that Patriot Games money that year, so he needs to get <laughs> in as well. Good. Board throwing him a bone.
0: <laughs> um, so James Earl Jones is here as Professor Jim Earl. And he enters the room and just kind of watches Indy examining the pictures for a moment and smiles to himself and just says, I mean, I can't even do my Darth Vader voice. But, you know, Dr. Jones, a reputation that needs no introduction. It's an honor to have you here. And Indy turns and we're quite close on Indy at this point in terms of camera angle. And he looks up and he's about to reply. When from behind him, we hear, a, please, Jim, no need for the compliments. <laughs> and then Mel sort of does one of those. <laughs> I can't even describe <laughs> it. Like and he's just like what? And he turns. And he goes, Dad. And he goes, Junior. And he goes, What are you doing here? Like that. And Henry Jones, it transpires, has also answered the call from former colleague Professor L, who's been researching ancient tribes in the region. And then we get um, a great bit of exposition between the three men. You know. And, um, That's and Professor, so good. Has, uh... can,
1: I, can I say, you I'm so sorry, <laughs> but I have to say, first of all, I'm my soul is singing. Second of all, just before I knew that it was going to be Connery because your face turned into your Connery face, and I was, it was absolutely wonderful. <laughs> I'm very happy. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's really fun. That's nice. Um, so, uh, Professor L says uh, to the to the two, you know, what do you know of the art of necromancy? And Indy says quite gravely, "Look, there's very little to know. It's not really my field. You'd really need someone who is a thousand years old to be able to help you here, Jim." Uh, and um, Henry Jones pipes in, "In Haitian rural folklore, physically revived by the act, people being uh, physically revived by the necromancy." Uh, normally, uh, from a rule of three, a bokor, a sorcerer, or a witch, and uh, the bokor is complemented by a hoogan priest and the Mambo priestess, so that basically Henry just knows everything like that, and Indy's sort of surprised, impressed, and annoyed he didn't know, (laughs) and then is immediately ridiculously kind of sceptical in a way that, as he said before, undermines all the other Indy adventures, and just says it's basically voodoo dad, and um, and he goes, it's Haitian spiritualism. Here's my Jim. He seems to have forgotten he drank from the very cup of life itself. And uh, Professor says, it's okay, Henry, I understand. I, too, was skeptical until, until. And then he gives it a big look out the window. He goes, tomorrow I'm going to take you out into the jungle and to a stream down there and a shrine we've discovered. Just a few weeks ago, there was a terrible tragedy. A lady drowned, tripped, and fell. And James L. Jones, professor, Earl, pulls a uh, a folded newspaper clipping out of a, a bag that he's got there, and we see on the clipping it says "local tragedy" as the headline, and there's a picture of Angela Bassett on there, and um mm-hmm. and basically um and and it's a bit of a like a shiver shock moment, you know, in the movie, and then uh, and he goes, "Tomorrow, there's something you need to see. I think the answer is out there," and Angela enters holding an old dagger. And um, and I've just realised something I forgot to pull through at the end here, so it's going to be okay. I'll tell you where to get there. Um, Angela <laughs> is just holding an old dagger, and um, and and of course the men sort of just still Henry and India kind of still juggling with the fact that she's bloody dead, basically. <laughs> and, um, and, um, and, uh, and 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 first of all, oh, general, general, you you have to see this as well. We we unearthed it from a site we're excavating, and um, Angela hands the sword by the blade to India, and it cuts his hand. And uh, and Angela's like sorry sorry and he goes uh, and Professor L goes it's an exquisite piece it's made with Haitian steel it's lost none of its potency however here then he hands Indy a handkerchief and Indy kind of wipes his hand he goes it's beautiful but maybe I'll take the handle next time and anyway next day Indy um, uh, Henry uh, Professor L and Angela go out into the jungle. Maybe there's a little escapade on their way. I don't know. Possibly pure, pure temple in the jungle vibes. Um, see a shrine um, at some point when they're in their jungle vibe, um, and the ceremony with these three figures um, is there. And it sort of, it kind of gives a sense of doom. And uh, Henry Jones says, "Actually, I think this is the good place." And uh, Indy says, "The good place?" And he goes, "Well, they give the shoals back like that." And anyway, they decide to camp. Um, that night, because I've been jungling all day, set up a fire. Um, and as I sat around the fire, some, some branches crack, the trees around them start shaking, and they get jumped um, by a, a gang of characters. The main ringleader, and indeed Sheppy, the villain of this Jones romp, oh. and the ridiculous casting that I do not justify and pull through, <laughs> is, uh, is Denzel Washington. Playing oh, Thor- nice and pure like peak malcolm x in washington um yeah sorcerer witch mull around behind this whole creepy shit, and um and he has powers man he is proper proper right into his voodoo um channeling his inner living and let die but more on that a bit later um mm-hmm. and then um bokor denzel paralyzes indian henry with a sweep of his hand and with indian henry down and beaten he actually takes indy's hat as a trophy I always thought that would be a cool fucking thing for a baddie to do. Like, do you know what I mean? Take yeah. out of the trophy. And um, Professor Earl and Angela are kidnapped, and um, their uh, their belongings are basically left behind. Um, Indy is utterly paralysed, yet Henry suddenly starts to be able to move and um, and starts to be able to speak and then stand and then move his arms. And Indy's looking around sort of, to see why his dad can move and he can't. And he realizes it was all about Henry's proximity to the campfire, and the heat of it seems to have broken the spell. We all know what fire can yeah. do in indie movies. With uh-huh. so this understanding, we get a comedy charades moment with Indy trying to indicate the fire, with Henry guessing all the wrong things before eventually rolling Indy through the fire, and Indy giving it a big
1: Jesus.
0: <laughs> 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 I love, I love her. Indy's Harry. That's good stuff. And uh, Henry just says where do you think they went? That? And Indy just says, check Earl's map. And, uh, and Henry says, right. And then Indy kind of busies himself around the camp. And I always love these moments when Harrison Ford does this. Like, you know, a real, like, he doesn't really know what he's doing, but he's got a slightly <laughs> yeah. furrowed brow, and he sort of, I um, put Ford having a, a slightly forward-furrowed, frantic, pun intended look, um, where uh, he kind of like just zigs and zags, and maybe there's a, a full close-up on camera. Um, and, mm-hmm. as we close up on Indy's face, we just hear Indiana like that. And basically Henry has been rifling through the bag, finds the article that Professor Earl originally shown them. And again, we see the local tragedy headline and the picture of Angela, which Henry now unfolds to reveal a second portrait photo of Professor Earl as well. And mm-hmm. um, Indy snatches it, looks at his dad, and um and basically, you know, Professor Earl also died. You know, so um, that this is the sort of the little twist on the twist, and then um, yeah. just says to his dad, "Let's go get my hat back," or that, and Henry just goes, "Your hat, a hat, yeah. your hat," or that, and Indy just says, like in that kind of we name the dog Indiana look moment, he just goes, "It's Lucky, Dad," or that, and, and Henry just goes, "Lucky,
1: The hoof of a <laughs>
0: rabbit, Lucky, a hats a damn fashion accessory," and then. <laughs> The, the Jones boys get to a vantage point, you know, they've they managed to find, so this is where it starts to speed up, Sheppy. get to a vantage point for the very ceremony Henry described, with the Boko, Denzel running it, and then Professor Well and Angela involved as the priest and priestess, as respectively. Um, and um, it's not mentioned here, and I neglect to mention it later, Sheppy. but what unlocks this whole ceremony is the blood of someone with eternal life, which is basically indie, you know, because he, he drank from that cup. And that little sword moment of him cutting into yeah. the moment they could use, and that's why they invited the Jones boys. Um, but anyway, um, Henry yeah. says, uh, son, I don't think we want to be around for the next part. And he, and he says, what are you talking about? He goes, well, if Professor Earl's studies were right, all bets are off. Like that and he just says, "No more That's riddles, a... Dad." That's in the trailer. That's my trailer moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then he just gives it the "No more riddles, Dad." And uh, Sean just says under his breath, "The dead shall rise, and their spirits will be sealed in that bottle." And we see a battered clay bottle behind Bokor that is held as some sort of shrine, a bit like the Shankara stones. So anyway, the dead rise, and and um, Bokor opens the bottle. And like this little bit of gimmickry, special effects where Professor L and Angela's Soul's light come out of them and go into the bottle. Their eyes roll into the back of their head, and they suddenly become like one with an army of risen zombies, Sheppy. And um, we have the dead. It's indie versus the zombies. This basically, and um, and they are running zombies as well. So we're we're uh, we're in for it. And I literally just put bish bosh bash. Heaps of cool indie action set pieces, the whipping <laughs> head, if you will. And um and I've then put um there's definitely a moment where Henry accidentally tears a bone off a zombie and says, I'm very sorry, before beating other zombies with it. <laughs> <And> then um <laughs> Indy goes to claim this bottle, the sacred bottle, and in doing so refines his hat, um, goes to pick it up and there's a snake in it. And I just see this. Was- <gasps> Where he's, <laughs> um, with the bottle tucked under his arm Indy uses leg and has Bokor chasing him and I really like the idea of there being a sequence where Indy's running through a forest bit like Raiders but with trees around him and Bokor with his powers is able to just throw trees at him crack them have them timber and you're really feeling it with the huge cracking thuds and like you know the trees falling around Indy it's bloody Shaky, yeah. Um, Great. And, uh, there's a big fight between Indy and Bokor in the Haitian waterfalls as Henry, having been given the bottle by Indy, takes the bottle to the shrine they found um, and smashes it at that altar, which was the good place. And um, at that moment that it happens, the remaining zombies collapse. Professor Earl and Angela, who've been with the zombies and trying to thwart Henry, return to their bodies for a brief moment, Professor Earl dying in Henry's arms with a, forgive me, Henry. Indy is about to lose his waterfall tussle. Only when Henry smashes that bottle, Bokor actually, in that moment, we have a little special effect and he actually turns into water and disappears into the the waterfall itself. And that is basically the end of our movie, so to speak. But we have our little epilogue moment and um, it ends with Henry and Indy at, um, at at the Haitian at Haiti International Airport or whatever um, and it's a proper big 40s airport but really nice like it's kind of got yeah. nice nice bars nice vibe to it and got yeah, polished lights whatever you know Henry's had his uh, you know new lease of life since Last Crusade anyway so he's off to Cairo yeah. or something you know and Indy's yeah. come to university um, and Indy goes off to Basically, he buys a paper. The scene starts with Indy buying a paper in the airport. Goes over to see his dad at the bar before his flight. And Henry just gives it a little, have you seen the barmaid? And he's got a little twinkle in his eye. And uh, Indy just says, Dad, I think it's about time you started catching the eye of someone a little more your age, don't you? So it's a little callback. <laughs> he talks and sleep and he goes... And that's not what I meant. And he goes, and Indy just gives him a little withering. Okay, okay. I'll give you regards to Marcus so that and he leaves to go and catch his flight. And Henry just says, Yes, yes, please do, you know. Indy leaves. And uh, Henry then just sort of looks up. The uh, the the barmaid comes over and it's only Mary it? and not it in a little cameo oh. Karen Allen and, I collect drink, and uh collects his drink there's a little twinkle and an exchange between the two. And just thought that would just be a nice little touch and call back. It be nice. just the ships, you know, rather than having to come back into the movie. Um, and then Indy on the plane, first class, gives it the hat moment, you know. And I wondered whether we could have a live and let die style ending with Bokor also getting on the plane in a top hat. And there. Uh, <laughs> it's like, a, exactly. And, and never, ever repeated or talked about again. Just really nasty little laugh.
1: He's but he's got a reading a life magazine and he pops it down, <laughs> winks at the camera, pops it back <laughs> up again, and it's his face on the cover of life.
0: No, no shapy. So that's He that captured
1: part. so many first of all, before I forget, I love that in yours Indy travels first class, because he would, and we do see him on that nice plane of Raiders, but it's nice you lean into that and it's nice to see he's not like in a chicken coop or something like that. Uh so I really he like probably that. He
0: pays for it he, from some bounty yeah, right. <laughs>
1: he's not he's not unwell off his jokes. He's done all right for himself. Um also um all the you know, the whole thing with, with connery and really capturing that between them. Um you did that perfectly and not and like a reverse fire like use the fire but it's always fire when they're fucked up with those two. And I like that a lot. Um, yes, yes, um, and I, and the Denzel, yeah, absolutely, and fantastic, and using be that much
0: more between them, wouldn't there? We'd have to, we'll, we'll work that up when we get the chance to workshop it, Sheppy. But yeah,
1: absolutely, right, right. there'd
0: be a real like adversarial <laughs> thing between the two of them, you know. And Denzel be it'd be very different for Denzi, like it'd be really freaking creepy. I think it'd be brilliant, but yeah, uh,
1: yeah, you go full on Baron you know it, yeah, um, and being like. And the taking the hat, like you say, is actually great on so many levels because it's so iconic and having just the baddie getting his hands on it is like, Oh, get rub your grubby hands off and then in putting it on, you'd be like, Oh, that's not yours. Um, so I like all of that. So yes. And then yes, even sir.
0: a moment where you could um, well, they do it anyway in, in Last Crusade, don't they, with the the hat reveal and then the punch in the face, actually. But you know, you just yeah. you're thinking like the you know when he finally is shaken off the snake and he puts it on and the music starts to swell and something yeah. ridiculous happens to him instead of it being a heroic moment, it'd be
1: quite nice. Mm, but, yeah, um, yeah, totally. Um, oh shit, oh no, uh, really, really good. Did that like um, I mean, just like you were saying in terms of the callbacks and everything. Really appealed to me, Um, and I love all of that, especially the short round, honestly, and bringing back Ackroyd as well for that matter. But I was really happy to see short round in that moment, that was really nice. And if they did do what like the whole thing where they made one, it'd be like four years or something. um, You could have one where short round is in it, like in the one from 1995, for example, and he is in it proper, um, and he's a teen of anything, that would be lovely. Um, yeah. I love all of it, Jimmy. Uh, I love thanks. it all so yeah.
0: much. It's that. Uh, yes. yeah. Bless thanks. you, man. Bless you. All right,
1: Jimmy. Um, again, there are a couple of similarities mm-hmm. in this, uh, in, in terms of an oriental vibe. Spoiler right now, I will say, mine, mine has an oriental feel. Sp- Especially in the first big chunk, um, but yeah, it's but it's it, it, yeah. Um, so that's nice. It's but again, like I say, it's sort of I'm trying to sort of give it its own thing a little bit. But yeah, there's a couple of things. The reason this one is so chunky is because there are about like six extended set pieces I would say in it, and I ended up just going into frame by frame detail in all of them. I couldn't stop myself. It would be, It started off as an idea, like a paragraph, and then it just... And I was like, I should stop. I might be able to stop if I really tried, but I, I don't think I will stop. And so I, so in, with that in mind, I just apologise. I just apologise.
0: No, apologise. I can't wait. I'm all in. I've got my coffee here. I'm going to settle in and just enjoy the ride.
1: Um in terms of the um the oriental factor, uh, I, I'll I say this all started again, I'll just say that it focuses on Taoism and Taoism. And this was all because I went on the old interwebs and I just typed in like religion. <laughs> um because you know the the first three have us have different religious angles. So um and so I ended up with Taoism with essentially. But I need to say up front I liberally, I did some proper research. I filled up a few pages of scribbles, but I, I have really, really liberally interpreted the, the ethos, the point, the history, which you know, there's religion in a nutshell. Wahey! so anyway, to my own ends, I've, I've made some, yeah. But essentially, it's all Taoism and um, Feng Shui, frankly, and and PowerPoints, and I realized you talk about Feng Shui and PowerPoints, It you know it's starting to sound like, I don't know, a bullet point presentation mm-hmm. from an interior designer or something, but it comes up, so I apologize. Nice. Um, I might as well nice. say, this is, I'm gonna tell you the title in a minute, but it's directed by Spielberg. I am gonna tell you, I think, I'm gonna tell you at least some of the cast. Uh, you got your Harrison Ford. Um, now you got your Maggie Chung, was in, in all of the police story films, I think, and in '94 in, in real life, she was in Ashes of Time and uh, Tau Zero, I think I'm probably mispronouncing that, but he was, um, he's a big, big star, um, and he was in Mountains of the Sun that year. Renny Liu is also in it, he was a big person, um, and there's one other person, and I'm gonna leave it for the minute, I think, um, and like I say, this is 1994. So it's five years after they made Last Crusade. But actually, you know, Last Crusade is set in thirty-eight, and Raiders is set in 36. So all films take place over like three years, really. Um, so with that in mind, since Paul House and Ford wasn't allowed to age through most of the 80s, so this is five years later, but in, in indie years, it's 10 years later and it's 1948, Jimmy. So there you go. uh think about that so the title jimmy is indiana jones and the way of the celestial masters um indiana jones and the way of the celestial masters 1994 spielberg directing and i'll just say now when the when the title does come up and i was just thinking about this now i hadn't thought about it before i've got indiana jones and the way of the celestial masters and you've got like indiana jones in like kind of you know the classic block but actually not in the indiana jones font but in like block capitals and the uh, in like smaller letters and a way of celestial masters is written in kind of like emerald green and kind of flowing, you know, um, script, if you like. Nothing too Douglas Cirque, but you get the idea. Um, so 1948, I'm not even sure. This opening could be in lots of places. I see it kind of on a large body of water in the desert. Maybe it's near the Panama Canal. I don't even know but it's it's a boat graveyard. And the Paramount, Mount, uh, Paramount Mountain is revealed as the logo on the side of a massive, giant, immense icebreaker, um, which is there, and it pulls out, and and that in itself is the logo for Addis shipping the tip of the iceberg you know, printed on the side of the ship. And we pull out, and yes, a huge outdoor offshoot of like a canal or something, a huge man-made lagoon, containing dozens and dozens of different sizes, different types, but mainly very huge ancient ships and boats left here to, to rust. Um, uh, some are on their sides, some are half sunk, uh, some are ex-tug boats, uh, others fishing vessels, or ex-luxury and or gaming ships, which we in the use like before, the, in, the, in, the, in the teens and 20s. Um, and so on, and all abandoned and scuppered and damaged and destroyed um, and everything. Um, I will quickly say this, of course, I I chose to do after the war. I would, instead of Young and Jonah Jones existing, what I would like is a whole TV show with someone who is passable as Harrison Ford, maybe the guy from Florida, Um, and it's a TV show or, you know, just set during the Second World War, with Indy's adventures doing like Alistair MacLean. Guns of Navarone type shit. I would like to see that on a, on a ideally over the course of a few films, maybe. But there you go. That's not what I did because I wanted to go pure. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, all these were abandoned probably during the both wars. It is night, but uh, the thin line of dawn is visible on the horizon out to out, out across the desert. The sun then breaks over the tops um, as it slowly begins to rise. And as dawn slowly breaks and the slant sun, hits the side of one of the wrecks and the light creeps up the rusty hole. It reveals uh, a shadow as if a curtain is going up. A shadow is cast across the metal ship and it's the familiar silhouette of a hat and a whip in action stance and music stirs. And then we cut to within one of these half sunken hulks and in like um, a meeting is taking place in like one of the large, um, like inside the hole or something with a large group of disreputable sorts, mercenaries, thugs and thieves, all really sweaty and grizzled and dirty. You know, it stinks in there. And they're all gathered around a very large bare room within the ship, decades abandoned, but now it contains, like, it's like their hideout. It contains a small table and chair, loads of packing crates of all shapes and sizes stacked against the wall. Uh, the room is lit by several lanterns and gas lamps and uh, by some barked orders we sort of learn you know um and, and you know this over the the opening shot of the of everything maybe just our, uh, before the, the shadow that's when the, the, the date comes up so by some barked orders we learn that this is all loot which has been stashed there in their hideout and more boxes are added to these and we catch snippets of dialogue along the lines of watch the merchandise handle those ones carefully Idiot! Move the lanterns away from the explosives, etc. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Overseeing all this um is the leader, a gaunt-looking man with malice in his eyes and a scar running down his face. Uh so I call him Scarface. He's not the first villain I've given a scar to just to make him some fake interesting, and is, he won't be the last. Um, Through further uh, snatches of overlapping dialogue, we glean that much of the stolen loot has been bought for profit counting and so on, but also they're waiting for a very important piece of merchandise which has been recovered, and now the second in command emerges, having apparently procured this item, stealing it from some local museum uh, uh, at great cost to finance and men. And The second command comes, steps forward and offers it up to his boss. Scarface takes the package and uh, he he unwraps it and we see it is an ancient set of Chinese scrolls rolled, you know, from top to bottom, uh, you know, with the of the parchment and it is bound by ancient twine. And Scarface looks at it for a beat and then he says, "Bring him in." I don't know what nationality it is, just some come. Second in command grunts to Alaki, the expert. Go. And the group parts and a man shuffles into the dank carnivorous room, um, cavernous room, rather. He remains in shadow, but we see he's wearing a tweed suit, bow tie and steel rimmed spectacles. He sits uh, at the small table and uh, a burning lantern is held by an ugly flunky over his shoulder, providing light to the tabletop. The man appears slightly nervous by the thugs and the cutthroats around him. Still, mainly in the shadow, he is shown in close-ups of his hands, as well as from what is over his shoulder, and his general shape and outline. But most of all, we just see his glasses, which just reflect the light, making both lenses totally white, like in Sin City. The man is given the scrolls, and he definitely unwinds the twine and unfolds the scrolls from the centre out. He looks down, and we see in his glasses Chinese characters reflected back, as his hands smooth the parchment out and the men gather around watching and Scarface is looking and he says, well, doctor, is it genuine? And the doctor looks up at Scarface and nods. And when he speaks, it is with an American accent. And he says, it's real, all right. Second century, beautiful calligraphy. And Scar, impatient, is like, and the location, is it given? And the hands again smooth over the surface, you know, caressing and loving, And the glasses look down and the lips sound out words to himself. And then he looks up and Scar is now reflected back at himself in the glasses. And this guy says, yep, right here. And he taps the line of text exactly where we thought. And Scar is like, good, rough and pleased. And now from high above this room, there's like a metal gangway overlooking everything. And from the back, walking closer, high above, we see the back of someone walking. We see a leather jacket. We see the hat and the whip. The voices increase in volume as he gets closer to the gathering men below. And the of goes over, up and over his shoulder a bit, so we see down. And the man in the hat now stands almost directly above, looking down at the 20 or so men. The crates, the table, the lantern, the doctor, hunched over the table, and the scrolls. Scarface leans down and takes the scrolls back and rolls them up roughly. And the doctor holds up a hand, you know, palm out, like, careful. And Scar just grins at this. And the doctor at the table sort of watches him and the scrolls. Above, in the shadows, the man in the hat continues to watch. Behind him, moving silently, is another man, a goon, gun out, moving forward, unheard and unseen, towards the shadow. Below, Scarface drops a large bag of coins on the table in front of the doctor. The doctor gives it a glance, then shifts in his seat and looks about a tiny bit at the mini goons surrounding him and the ugly goon directly behind him holding that lantern. And above, the gun-wielding goon has his gun raised and is pointing it directly at the back of the shadow in the hat's head. And he softly pulls back the hammer and it clicks. And on a pure Raiders moment, you know, the hat cocks at the sound and the shadow in the hat slowly turns. And we see from over the shoulder of the goon with the gun as the man in the hat turns and we push into the face of Indiana Jones. And he looks at the goon. The goon looks back then breaks into an evil grin, his mouth revealing many insanely crooked teeth. And a beat, and Indy slowly slowly grins too, showing much better teeth. And for a moment, both men grin at each other. And again, it's kind of like the bit in Raiders in the truck when he goes in and they they do that. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) the crooked toothed goon's eyes then narrow, his gun pointing at Indy's face, and he tenses about ready to pull the trigger, And then down below, the man at the table continues to shift slightly, ill at ease. And Scarface says, you have no fear. You have no need to fear, doctor. And then gesturing the the money bag on the table. This is the payment for your service that we agreed upon. Feel glad we are men of our word. And the man says, yeah, but there's a problem. And he leans back from the table into the light of the lanterns still held above him. And he removes his glasses as he leans back into the light and he looks at Scar and we we see him and Scar is like, yes. And we see his features for the first time. It's Kevin Costner and he's dressed almost exactly like Indy when he's teaching. And he's like, yeah, but there's a problem. Yes. (laughs) And Costner says, I'm not. Uh, Then the room explodes as at least 20 more men burst in from multiple entrances, a whole other group, Asian and they have machine guns, and immediately open fire on the goons. Costner jumps up, his nebbish persona forgotten, and as he rises he twists, snatching the gun from the belt of the lantern-holding Ugly Goon and immediately shoots him with it point-blank, so the Ugly Goon flies back, taking it in the chest, dropping the lantern, which smashes on the floor, spreading flame. As the Asian gang then pop up with automatic weapons, at least three of Scarface's goons go down immediately. Scarface takes a second to get over his shock, he drops the scrolls, he pulls out a gun, and he shoots at the attacking uh, Asians. Above, the toothy goon re- uh, reacts with immense shock and surprise at this sudden, ambitious carnage below. Indy wastes no time grabbing the revolver, snatching it from his grasp with his left hand, then in the same fluid movement using his right hand to punch him in the face. The goon is tough, though, and he launches himself back at Jones, and they grapple. Below, all is chaos, as there is now a massive firefight between the two groups, Scarface's pirate group and this new Asian group, who seem more professional and much better dressed. Scarface continues to shoot, taking down a few of the Asian squad. Costner is shooting Dune's left, right and centre, taking a dead man's weapon, now shooting with a gun in each hand. And he spins and points the gun right at Scar's face, who spins and points his own gun right back, causing a momentary standoff. For a moment then, everyone is still shooting all around them, Costner and Scarface pointing a gun at each other, the table with a scroll on it right between them. Above, Indy and the Toothy Goon fight for the gun, and Indy knees him in the nuts, takes the gun, punches Toothy Goon right in the face, very hard, who he spins around, goes off the side of the railing, over the gangway, falls down, 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 screaming, landing on top of the table, smashing it to pieces right in the middle of the standoff. This breaks Costner and Scar's moment and each take uh, the chance to turn and shoot at the chaos around them, each killing a separate goon who are about to shoot Costner and Scar respectively. Both these goons from different gangs go down at the same time, and also at the same time, Costner and Scarface turn back to the smash table and reach for the scrolls at the same time. For a moment, Costner and Scar's hands both clasp the scroll, uh, the scroll and then Costner punches Scar right in the Scar face, and he goes down hard. Costner scoops up the scrolls, as the flames from the fallen lantern all continue to spread around the room. Costner legs it. Above, Indy sees all this, and remaining on the high walkway, takes off and pursues Costner, chasing from above. Scar gets up, bleeding from the corner of his mouth, furious. He fires at but misses Costner, who races across the room, bullets zipping all around him from all directions, not even aiming at him, just within this massive firefight. And he leaps through a doorway and into the darkness beyond. Scar looks in the direction of Costner's flight with raw hate. He points in that direction and screams an order at his men. We see Costner running down a deserted corridor within this huge boat, stuffing the scrolls into his inside jacket pocket. On the numerous gangplanks and walkways, Indy continues to chart Costner's passage following on this upper level as they go, all still corridors and corroded walkways. The firefight continues between the Asian gang and the other goons. Several continue tracing Kostner on his level as Indy traces Kostner from above Um, You know, he's still following and in his flight and he's finding his own way and he runs through different rooms and things and rejoins. And, you know, a couple of goons get in his way at some point, ready to shoot him. But he just draws and shoots as he runs, hitting two in the chest, one falling from the gangway. Inside the main room, the fire is now raging out of control. The flames spread across to the hold and a huge stack of crates, of course, with a picture of a flame with a cross printed on the side. And the fire reaches it, and just as the Asian goons advance, taking out several more of their adversaries, this gang is now seemingly victorious, these Asians. cross the ship, Costner reaches a heavy door, big metal door, sealed shut, and it takes him a moment just to turn all those funny little necessary handles around the side to open it. Above, Indy unhooks his whip, cracks it, wrapping it around an exposed girder. He swings from the upper level, down and across, colliding with Costner, Just as he gets the door open, both men spill through to the deck of the ship. So they're outside, Indy and Kostner, they regain their feet and they stand facing each other, both wary, both in a fighting stance, total enemies. And there is shared recognition and Kostner smiles at Indy with a wholesome Kostner smile in the main room, the flaming crates now explode and a massive fireball, which covers all left in the hold, blasting a massive hole in the ship's side, and gallons of seawater rush in and engulfs everyone else. Uh, outside, we see the large ship buckle and then begin to tip sideways. And it's all like, hear you know, that noise, you know, of the, sort of the big metal. Ar. Inside the lower <laughs> decks, um, it all tilts suddenly, drastically, and, all, the whole ship tilts, and sending Costner and uh, Indy flying to the side, both hitting the deck hard. Costner's up first, and he uppercuts Indy hard in the jaw, and takes off. Inside, water is rushing in and overtakes many of the pursuing goons, the ones who Scar, you know, sent after the fleeing Costner. Indy's seeing all of this, and he's trying to get up, but the deck underneath him continues to tilt as the ship begins to list. Grabbing the swinging metal door for support, Indy's up and he tears after Costner. Foot chase now across the deck of the ship, across the top of the boat, which is continuing to tilt more and more and more, sinking and turning. The deck beneath Indy and Costner's feet tilting downwards away from them, fast and now drastically. Um, shades of Titanic, I guess. Uh, shades of Conception. Running at top speed, it is their sheer momentum that keeps the sprinting pair upright as they run at an increasingly extreme angle downhill. The Costner uh, reaches the edge of the ship and deck, doesn't slow, instead getting his foot up onto the barrier and pushing off hard, and he leaps from the edge of the ship's deck, which is still tilting, through the air and onto the deck of the large ship positioned next to them. He, he lands, he runs, he continues to go, and Indy 2 performs the same leap from ship deck to ship deck landing hard, but he scrambles up and gets after him. And both men are in turn pursued by Scar's remaining goons, knives out, guns out, blood up. Now Indy chases Costner across his second ship deck. Indy is catching up when the entire ship is rocked hard by a massive impact and the original boat has continued to sink and roll over, capsizing onto its side so that the entire mass has collided with the side of the second ship the impact is immense, metal on metal, and both Indy and Costner are sent sprawling, sliding on their fronts over worn wood. Not losing any momentum, both were up and running again, um, but now this deck too is starting to tilt down, again away from them as the ship too starts to tilt and sink. And again Kostner, then Indy leap from this deck's edge over and onto the next ship in line, and again this second ship, its side smashes into the third ship lengthwise. So basically you've got a huge row of very massive ships and it's dominoes and they're going into each other and Costner and Indy and the remaining goons are chasing them and they ha- it's like a race against time before the ship tilts so much that they, they're going to lose their footing and also when the edge is too low and they wouldn't be able to jump onto the next ship. Uh, so it's, it's all a race against time wow. and all of that. Uh, So now Costner and Indy leap from boat to boat um, and as each one, topples, smashing hard into the next, the impact causing, uh, you know, anyone caught in the way is obviously in a lot of trouble. Um, Each deck continues to tilt. Because he's behind, Indy has it the worst. Costner and especially Indy uh, must make it to the edge and jump in time for, uh, you know, each just in the nick because, of course, it's listed more by the time Indy gets to the edge, so it's harder for him. They make it to the edge, uh, starting each process anew. The goons chasing the two men are further behind, and thus they don't always necessarily make it to the edge of the decks in time before they've tilted too far. And some jump and they miss and, you know, they fall down and they land in the water. Some, of course, jump and they totally time it and the boat just... You know you don't obviously i didn't say this is a pg but so just imagine spielberg filming this in his clever spielberg way but they're getting turned to jam some of them are jumping they don't make it they miss the the next edge and then the boat just lands on them <laughs> and you know, they have burst um as indy is further behind costa um it's getting harder and harder for him this uh oh okay so on this one costa just about makes the jump But uh, Indy doesn't make it and he he jumps, then sails, but then misses and crashes into and through the massive view window of the next ship, landing on the the below deck. Um, And this used to be a gaming ship and Indy lands on top of an old roulette wheel and he crashes over this, and he gets up, and he races in the same direction as the room is tilting around him. And now he's inside some tables and chairs and old gaming equipment is like flying around him and overtaking him and almost smashing into him, you know, into his back as he's going. And above, on the outside deck, above deck, Kostner runs atop of this listing ship as Indy is running beneath him on the lower deck. During all of this, more gang members are like trying to keep up, but some are failing and dying horribly um the fire continues to spread meanwhile across all the toppling ships now as oil as as someone is escaping from the ruptured vessels now causing the water's surface to ignite on the last boat costner is almost home free when indy cracks the whip up through a hole in the deck snagging costner's foot causing him to fly forward and fall heavily onto his chest the scroll tumbling from his inside jacket pocket and skidding and skittering across the listing deck Uh, So now it's all about to go over the edge. Indy grabs it by one end and this causes the scroll to unroll to the end stopping inches above the flaming water, almost catching it on fire and Indy's like, you know, hanging over the edge and he has to pull it up quick. Um, And so he starts to pull it up when Costner comes up behind him rabbit punches Indy in the kidneys making him drop the scroll it starts to fall but now Costner grabs it again just before it touches the flames. He whips it up the wooden end of the scroll, swinging and hitting Indy in the face. Costner then shoves Indy hard, who almost falls from the deck into the flaming water. Costner flees, turns, sees Indy about to be consumed by the flames, and Costner stops and smiles with boyish Costner glee. He turns and then comes face to face with Scar. Scar hits Costner in the face. He spins, falls, loses the scroll, which again skids across the deck, back towards the growing and spreading flames. Scar has a revolver which he raises, but Costner bats it with a backhand and smashes into Scar hard, landing several vicious blows. He turns in time to see Indy pull himself up and grab the scroll just before it flies off the edge. Costner abandons Scar and races towards Indy. Fire is now all around this last ship, which is now sinking into the flaming ocean fast. A last grapple between Costner and Indy, Indy lands a solid punch on Costner's face. Costner goes down, Revealing immediately behind him, Scar, who is fucked up, but still with gun. And he raises it at Indy. A last explosion, and the ship now tilts drastically, almost vertically. And the three men are all thrown by this massive impact. Scar, Indy, and Kostner slide down the, the, the listing deck. Sliding, sliding, sliding. Indy, he's you know, practically free-falling. Indy whips it, wraps it around a deck vent, stopping hard. Kostner slides into another hole in the deck landing in a jumble but in one piece down below. The scrolls slide at super speed now back towards the fire. Um, hanging from one arm by the whip, Indy manages to... Ca- oh, he lets go, sliding down, um, falling after the scrolls that he's dropped, which are getting to the edge of the deck. Um, he passes the hold where Costner fell into, uh, and then he grabs the scroll, uh, The scrolls, still scooking really fast, passes Scar, who is desperately trying to halt his slide. Indy's going top speed now, but he's got the scrolls. Uh, the, um, they, the scrolls actually fly off the deck towards the flaming ocean. Indy goes off the edge too, reaches out, grabs the scrolls with one hand, and reaching up and grabbing onto like the base of the deck with the other. His descent ends with a jolt, and he now hangs over the edge, scrolls in his free hand, fire down below. Scar sees this, but he can't stop his slide. And he screams and he shoots off the edge of the deck past Indy and flames and water rush up to meet him. And he lands. uh, But you see, he's actually going to land on like one of the little escape boats, which has like come detached and is sort of hanging listlessly. And he's sort of falling. but He's like, ah, and then he lands on the boat. But he goes straight through the wood, basically chopping the boat in half. And he goes straight into the fire and he's like, ah, and he's fucking dead. And the boat (laughs) is now in half, a bit like in Moonraker. Um, oh, 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 no, I'll tell you what No, he goes into the flaming water And he's like, ah, but then he pops back up And he's like, And then the, the listing ship now finally tilts All the way over and comes down on top of him And he's like, oh. ah and, and he never has a chance to do a proper scream Because the whole ship crashes down on, onto him Smashing him to smithereens Scar is proper dead now um, Inside Costner uh, is in the smash deck He sees Indy has the scrolls um, And so um, hanging Indy starts to swing a bit to get momentum and then he lets go and he falls out over the flames down 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 and he's going to land you know on the same boat and you assume he's probably going to go straight through it like Scar does but he lands onto the other half of the boat and it gives but it stays upright and it kind of cracks and creeps, but it actually takes his weight and he lands like ha oh, um in a kind of a fluky Indy moment and that his impact Fully detaches it from the ship, you know where it's joined, because it's a lifeboat. And then again, like Moonraker with half the gondola, with Indy in this half boat, it kind of drifts out away from the fire and away from the rapidly sinking ship. Inside, water rushes up all around Costner. He looks uh, um, and sees that Indy has just like disappeared from where he was hanging, and he's like really frustrated now. And he takes a massive lungful of air and dives down deep in uh, deep as the water rushes up to meet him. And he disappears into the dark water and the entire ship finally goes down all the way to be lost to the ocean. And on board the little half-life boat, Indy clutches the scrolls to his chest and sits back, spent and panting, as the little raft drifts off away from the carnage um, and the mass flaming grave of metal and fire. And he is soon lost um, into the sunrise as he escapes, drifting into the dawn light. And we dissolve and that's the end of like the opening gambit. Um, <laughs> Jeffy, <no. laughs> and, it, and it's like na, 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 na. Oh, yes.
0: <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt your score actually that's a nice moment but just, <laughs> but just so listen amazing That's shades of like Sean Bean, Pierce Brosnan at the end of GoldenEye there yeah, yeah. the 006 and 7 or whatever it was and uh, yes. yeah, amazing both doing the same <laughs> sort of moves um, but yeah and I just love that like of all the Indian incidents that probably is the biggest collateral damage <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. actually international news, that one. That's <laughs> That's,
1: That's true enough. Um, right. Yes. I'm, I'm going to get more into the Costner of it as we go, but yeah, I mean, again, you mentioned earlier, like, Belloc being the, the dark Indian, they say it in Raiders that he's a dark Indian, and I've always loved that in everything, when you have the dark version of the hero, and I've really gone into that. Um, so, yeah, Costner is the dark Indy basically um, but like full on in terms of you know I mean Belloc wouldn't win in a fist fight with Indy but you know he's like a soul brother but but yeah Costa is a is a cunt brother <laughs> I've so
0: that before, but he's my favourite character that talks with his fists is Indy and what fist yeah. and what smacks and thwacks yes. whenever he hits anybody yes. the sound design the
1: gunshots and day. the punches are, are just phenomenal yes. so satisfying thwack and quack <laughs> You know, in Raiders, with Jock and the Snake and the Plane, and they fly away from the end of the opening bit, yeah. and then it dissolves, and it's like... Dun, 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 dun. Even though I was just saying about Last Crusade, it hits too many beats, I do want it to go... da, 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 da as it dissolves. But I'm going to say this now, not really spoiler, but like you in terms of leaning a little bit into Temple, one choice I really wanted to make, and again, to kind of get away from the Last Crusade repeating certain beats danger, um, and we've seen, you know, his life. Basically, he doesn't go back home during this film. It's like Temple; he's out the whole time, so he never sort of goes and regroups or or does anything like that. Which, you know, is just a choice I made. So, but now we're um, we're in like the American embassy again. I've written Iran, but I don't know why. But it's desert anyway, um, and it's very hot. We see the exterior shown and gentle indie music. Um, all palm trees and cool white walls, ceiling fans and expats, um, And there is a strong military presence, um, all with armed guards and soldiers patrolling and sentries on duty and so on. Indy is dressed in a nice, slightly informal suit with a uh, tie and glasses. Um, in the central courtyard, Indy meets the man who hired him to retrieve the scrolls. This is Renny Wu, played by Tao Zou. Wu is a wealthy industrialist who was born in China and educated around the world, and he's now in his mid-40s and has the sheen and healthy glow of the very, very rich, but also actually has this sort of slightly unpolished uh, sort of impy glint in his eye, like a kind of adventure, cheeky quality about him as well, and he's a bit cheeky. like With it, with his men, you know, he's got like lots of lackeys and smithers, and he's always like really gruff, but like he kind of lets his guard down a little bit, and he's a bit cheeky. Um, But he is a keen intelligence and is often dryly funny. And he's excited to meet Jones to gain the scrolls, which Indy presents to him as they sit in this courtyard, you know, with refreshing looking drinks, which Indy is ignoring, which always annoys me. But yeah, that's Indy for you. And this scene starts as the equivalent of like, you know, the Porkins College scene, it's exposition but hopefully made a little bit interesting. And we learn the basic setup so that Wu here hired Indy to find the scrolls, which give the exact location of the first of the Dao power points. There are six around the globe, or possibly five, and between these points, Dao uh, legend tells that all the energy of the planet, all living things—humans, animals, minerals, plants, everything—all en- life energy flows through these points and are all connected. Now they now Indian Wu must travel to to China where Wu wants Jones to lead him and a team up the Lost Trail to the range that forms the four sacred mountains of Taoism. There, the first of these, let's say, five PowerPoints can be found. Wu, and that's the information given by the scrolls, Wu is like, the historical significance of such a find is unprecedented. Many older shrines and vestiges of ancient dynasties have been discovered. This is a sacred temple belonging to Dao, the founder of the Taoist Splinter, which began in 2 AD, yes. But I'm still unsure just why this location garnered such competition. You heard all about the raid on the ship, yes? We now find out that the Asian gang who raided the ship are in the employ of Wu's sister who is just as keen on reaching this temple up the sacred mountains, but Wu explains that her ends are fortune, whereas Wu's are for historical learning and cultural honor. Um, And then he kind of winks it in he's like, and adventure. Uh, The temple is the first of uh, these points situated across the globe. Um, Now, uh, the idea being that when connected, these will channel the energy of the earth and everything into a vessel who is standing at these points. The one who does that will be the conduit of existence and shall receive the ultimate balance of knowledge and self, transcending humans to be the Tao incarnated, uh, the vessel of ultimate knowledge. Uh, Wu and his sister have been disciples of this faith all their lives, uh, but one has reverence and the other greed. Wu now tells Indy that he has agreed to a meeting with his sister that very day in neutral ground somewhere where she cannot make a move against them. And Indy's sort of realization dawning is like, where? And Wu is like, why right here, Dr. Jones, she will be joining us soon. And Indy protests, but Wu holds up a hand to cut him off. And Wu is like, any chance to stop more bloodshed must be taken. Maybe this race towards blaspheme can yet be tempered. And Indy is dead against. And he tells Wu of the tactics his sister has used so far. We also learn that Indy was on the trail of the scrolls, um, but they they were snatched from the museum before he got a chance to snatch them. Um, Indy now gets angry and he's like, and another thing, do you have any idea who else was there last night? Who this man was who your sister apparently brought on to decipher and then steal the scrolls? And Wu is like an adversary and Indy's a thug. And Wu is like, you refer, of course, to Mr. Constantinople. So here we find out about Kostner. I'm not going to keep calling him fucking Mr. Constantinople, but that will kill me. But his name is John Constantinople. My reasoning being, and you mentioned this earlier, it's all about the yin and yang. It's Indiana Jones, John Constantinople. He's the flip of Indy. Uh, but I'm going to call him Costa. Um, We now learn that it was Wu's sister who hired her own expert in historical artifacts and spiritual teachings to help her get the squirrels and reach this final destination, stopping Wu. Um, And Constantinople, he's a professional rival. He's a cutthroat adventure seeker, fortune hunter and historian. He is well respected in some circles, but his reputation stops him from moving in polite society. He is known as a gun for hire, more of a mercenary whose end goal is always self serving Wu is like, yes, I of course have heard of the man, a villain to be sure. And Jones is like, it's not just his tactics, Wu. I don't know if you're aware of what this means, the inclusion of this man. He doesn't care about history or knowledge. Um, And uh, out of frame, well, coming into frame, but head cut off from the top of frame, a figure now enters standing at the table and addresses the two men. And he says, well, coming from you, I'd say that's quite a compliment. And Indy looks up and his jaw drops, and he reaches instinctively for his gun, but of course he's unarmed. And lowering into frame into a seat, Constantinople sits with them, uh, and the scene now becomes a mixture of exposition set up, and also like the Belloc scene in Raiders, uh, where they have to be nice to each other. And Indy and Kostner um, have this chance to have a civilized co- uh, conversation, but you know Indy's all through gritted teeth, and Kostner's enjoying it, being cocky and boyish, and Kostner. He is wearing a very similar suit to Indy, by the way, but with white jacket and tie and black shirt, with Indy the opposite. Costner <laughs> is there at the behest of Wu's sister, who now joins the table after Costner gives her the all clear. So, in the civilized and safe neutral territory, the four sit with the other. Uh, Wu's sister calls herself Madam M. She is in her thirties, is equally educated and as capable as her older brother. With access to similar wealth, they are. It is safely safe to say a strain. Uh, so Wu has hired Indy. M has hired Kostner, and they both know the location of the temple. M, Madam M, gives an offer to Indian Wu. Back off. She is only there with um, with any respect towards the enlightenment on offer or power of the Dao. She's saying I'm the only one here who actually understands this thing, and that her brother is too Westernized and therefore corrupt. Uh, it is she who deserves to reach the temple because she will not let her brother's greed stand in her way. In this civilized setting, they're, they're, you know, there's crackling tension all around them. Um, so you get the idea, by the way. So this is the first time Indy and Kostner have really spoken for a time, but they've known each other for a while. Maybe the war is alluded to, um, but every um, every encounter they've had in recent years has always been vicious and savage. With no time for dialogue. Um, and so in this case, Costner intends to make the most of it, much to Indy's ire, and Indy says to Costner, you know, every competitor I've ever had, friend, foe, and other, they all seem to end up the same way. You're no different, kid. Costner says, one difference. I'm not a competitor, Indiana. I'm of a placement, and that's the trailer moment. So (laughs) all is laid out. (laughs) Now the the four pathways, And just as they're leaving, Costner lands one more smug jab at Indy as he stands and buttons up his jacket. He practically dares Indy to make a move, knowing that Indy's probably going to get shot if he tries. So Indy doesn't. He manages to control himself. And Costner and Madame M leave. She, with a closing comment to her brother, stay out of my way. This is not a final warning, but your only warning. Uh, And so the race is on. Em and Kostner uh, set off to stop and sabotage Indian Wu's expedition. It's very, very impossible to Madame man that Wu does not reach the holy mountains and does not gain access to this knowledge and power. Um, now, Kostner has read the passage from the scrolls, but as Indy says, he knows the exact location, but he doesn't know the exact route. So, Indian Wu have the edge in terms of speed; they can go on the you know shortcut. Uh, so, the next chunk of film now it's Indian Wu and his men. Flying to China, you've got your red line and the base camp at the bottom of the mountain to the north, the indie theme, blah, blah, blah. Traveling in Wu's team, we also meet Wu's closest advisor, Mr. Li, who is bookish and out of his element on the trip, providing some humor. Uh, their expedition traverses the mountain, they get really high, high above the clouds, lots of winding narrow paths like etched into the rock, you know, cut out of the side of the mountain by time. Um, and maybe they're sabotaged, they've got bad equipment or something, like destroyed by Costner or something. Um, meanwhile, M's team, led by Costner, are a step behind, but closing. Costner is wearing uh, clothes not dissimilar to Indy again. Uh, he's wearing like a very worn black leather jacket and like a, a, a battered trilby, perhaps. We have a brief scene, um, by the way, um, at a certain point between uh, Madame M and Costner. We just have them for a minute. In these extreme conditions, she is less austere and more rough and ready. And she bonds slightly with Costner. And we see a sort of a human side for both of them. And he says that they have an edge on Jones and he knows something that Indy does not, but he doesn't elaborate beyond uh, saying that Jones's assumptions will always be his downfall. And she quizzes him further on Jones and Costner says, if there's only one thing I can promise you, it's this. Indiana Jones will not be returning from this mountain. He has finally found the tomb he has been looking for his whole life, his own. Ahead (laughs) up the mountain on the the hidden route, Indian Wu likewise have more of an informal chat about their goals. Wu touches on his own hopes and dreams and his own special relationship with the celestial masters. This trip is something he has has been dreaming about all his life. Indy digs his passion and they deal with minor dangers as they go up. But, you know, and maybe um, Wu is gonna tumble off uh, for a second and he loses his footing and Indy grabs him you know, and it starts to crumble, and pulls him up, um, quite possibly saving Wu's life and is kind of grinning boyishly and they bond a bit more. There's one uh, maybe tight action set piece, um, which is about the, the length and size of the, the fight, the gunfight in Raiders in Marion's bar, I think. Um, the team reach a huge, huge ravine, a gulf stretching out, um, but it's connected by a kind of a rocky path, like um, a sort of a rocky bridge, if you like, made from vines and wood and you know, trees and rock and old, eons old creaking in the wind above the clouds. It's kind of nature. And um, India's like, I hate these things. And so he goes first. They start to cross it in single file. Um, and, you know, some of Wu's team all with shaking legs and wide eyes. And Mr. Lee stays behind in a pure Salah-esque you go first moment. And Indy is going uh, first, the test that it holds. But at the halfway mark, Indy sees something connected to the far end of the bridge and he squints and his eyes go wide and we move in on it. And we slowly reveal, we see it's a, uh, a six pack of dynamite and the fuse is lit and it's attached to the far end of the bridge. And Indy spins and shouts and points to the others, and he's going, get back, get back, pure Patriot games. The team run back. Indy, however, abandons all caution. He's further along the bridge anyway, he runs flat out toward the dynamite as the flame moves quickly up the fuse. And he's almost there when Kostner appears in front of him, and he beat him to the bridge and got over it first and the pair's eyes lock, and Indy kind of stops because, you know, he could get shot or something, and it's a Wild Bunch reference, and Costner raises his hat in mock greeting, and then the bridge explodes, and chunks dislodge, and cracks spread, and it starts to crumble rapidly, and it gives way beneath him. Indy leaps, but there's no, he's nowhere near the edge, and he falls, scraping down the side of the cliff, sort of bouncing and managing to grab handfuls of the thick vines growing from the rock. They're all snapping and he's still falling. He's sort of slowing down and he grabs one and it holds, leaving him sort of hanging over this abyss. And as it collapses, the explosion um, side where, you know, on the other side, Mr. Lee is staring in horror. Several of Wu's men, of course, fall from the bridge, screaming in terror. As they fall a really long way, the things swallowed by the clouds to fall much, much further still. Echoes of their screams bounce around, and the last section of the bridge on Wu's side now remains attached to the edge, but droops and sort of half hangs off. Um, and so Mr. Lee remains on the edge and he's trying to like help desperately help Wu's men and Wu get back up. Now, with Costner, Madam M and uh, her men appear, and she's sort of hanging back in the background. All of the men open fire on Wu from across the ravine, and it's kind of a temple moment. Uh, and some more of Wu's men are hit, and they tumble and fall the many thousands of feet to the ground. Uh, managing to secure footing hanging from the Costner the side, uh, Indy takes out his gun and shoots up through the vines um, at the edge of the, um, of the ravine. And the bullets actually crack through the stone, hitting one of M's men in the foot. And he falls back and stumbles into Costner. And instead of sort of steadying him, Costner just shoves him away hard off the edge. And he too plummets. And it's a bit of a Moloran move, but he doesn't do it to try and hit Indy. He's just like, get off, mate. And he flies off the edge of the ravine. On the far side, Wu has managed to get off, being helped by Mr. Lee. He takes his gun and he uh, takes aim at his sister and it's like, uh, and he fires. And it misses, but it was close, and she falls back. Uh, she orders her men and Costner to do the same because she's rattled. Costner doesn't follow immediately, though, and he goes right to the edge and looks down. And all he sees is rock and clouds and air. So he smiles and he turns to go, but leaves a sentry to stay, you know, just in case. So we learn that was Costner's ace in the hole. He had read more of the scroll that Indy had uh, assumed, and he did know the faster way there. Indy now um, obscured from below, still hangs, and he slowly climbs up the cliff face, reaches the area just below the ledge, uh, and the sentry is there. and the sentry has a rifle. He's taking aim at his rifle uh, at the last of the men who are climbing up on Wu's side. Um, and his finger is tightening on the trigger, but a scraping noise beneath him stops him and he looks down, and a bullet then smashes up through the thin rock hits the guy like under the chin, so the bullet you know goes up straight into his head, and he topples over the edge, and he pulls, and we see Indy hanging directly below that particular ledge and pulls himself up. Wu's men then fire a crossbow with a line across to Indy. He fastens it, and Wu and Wu's men go across kind of hand by hand, maybe with a harness, and Mr. Li is like, ah, but he makes it across. Um, despite getting ahead of them, Wu's team uh, make it to the temple, Around the same time as Madame M and Costner. Uh, Wu has about five men left, and M has about the same. The ancient Taoist temple is carved deep into the mountain top. Wu's team managed to get in past M's team due to Indy being clever and causing some sort of diversion. So he separates a little bit from everyone. And there's a brief firefight, but M realizes too late that Wu has got past her and, in a sort of a Well of Souls sort of move, has found the exact spot of the feng shui of the planet. You may laugh, that is what it is. And the first of the power points of the earth's energy flow into this point. Uh, He discovers the exact location. He stands on the exact spot and he starts to recite the passage from the scrolls. Madam M sees what Wu is doing. She realizes she's been duped by Indy and she and her team run, but arrive too late to stop Wu. And now he is stepping into the sacred position. And he's reading from the scrolls, and Wu starts to um, sort of the wind sort of whips up around him. And Madam M is like, No! And uh, Wu receives the power and knowledge of the Tao, ultimate wisdom and feng shui of the planet being at one with the structure of reality, uh, or at least he's one fifth of it because one PowerPoint out of five. Away from all of this, from different vantage points, Indino arrives in the chamber from a different angle, sort of hidden. And Costner is also in you know, from a different angle, hidden. And they're both watching what's going on, but both aren't actually sure what's happening. As wind is picking up, um, and then it dies down, leaving Wu kind of out of breath, but exalted. And he looks to Mr. Lee, and he's like, oh. and, and Mr. Lee is like, can't believe his eyes. And uh, Wu is like, where is Jones? And Mister Lee still reeling at what happened. Can the still sort of, he's still dumbfounded expression? So he sort of just looks at Woo and gives them a little shrug. And Woo is like, "Ah, uh, pity." And he takes out a gun and shoots Wu dead. And it's a bloody twist. Oh, Maybe it's no. a bit of a Donovan twist. But there you go.
0: And it's amazing you put in this moment here, Sheppy. Like, yeah, that I'm was assuming a choice. kind of in the middle. Of the movie but yeah
1: well you know what um i know i mean i'm going into a lot of detail and i will continue to do so i think basically where we are now is the same as when they leave venice so it's that sort of chunk um, of okay. in last crusade so it's, it's that sort of thing i would say um so it's not halfway <laughs> um <laughs> but don't worry about it um so woos mask drops Um, and with the blood spilt, the seal is shattered, unlocking the ancient power within and making this transaction irreversible. So Wu is slowly mastering this and grows in power throughout um, the rest of the film. After receiving this first piece of divine wisdom, Wu is surrounded by sort of like high winds, like I say, but also sort of suggested images of floating and howling ancient spirits um, and so on. And as new thoughts enter his mind, he remains in an ecstasy-fueled trance. He speaks aloud um, as he's gaining all of this. Um, and he sort of speaks out a lot of new information as it comes pouring into his brain, including the location of the next hour point. Madam M is among several who are close enough to hear all that he says. and She's getting in close with a gun, to try and shoot him, but she can't, it's too crazy with him getting all this power. and She can't get a lock on him, she can't get a name or whatever. So, Now Wu has kind of got like, his mind has been opened a good 30%, and in it is the balance of the universe. As Indy stares through the howling wind of spirits, he and Wu lock eyes, and Indy realizes, of course, he's been duped. In Rapture, hair blowing, arms outstretched to his sides, Wu shouts to him, knowledge is power, Dr. Jones, surely you know that. And now he tries to kill everyone. Uh, Wu starts to make the temple collapse, Costner is as shocked as everyone else. As the temple comes apart, Madame M tries to flee but fools and is left on like a sinking rock shelf, which is about soon to plummet. And she reaches out her arm for Costner to take. And Costner shouts over the rumbling and collapsing temple, where's the next PowerPoint? Where's he heading next? And she shouts up and she tells him and he looks down at her and she realizes her mistake and he grins in an adios senor Molina moment and he leaves her to die. And Indy sees him flee, and he's going to follow, but is stopped by gunfire and more falling mountain, and he falls back, and, he's, and the, the entrance gets you know, starts to collapse, and he realises he's not going to make it. So he turns back, and now he risks his life to save Madame M, only after he's trapped. If, if, he, if he could have got out, he wouldn't have saved her. But still, he could be killed, but he jumps down, he grabs her, um, and the ground starts to give way beneath them. And Jones is like, come on. And Madam M just stares, untrusting. And Jones is like, will I save you just to kill you? And Madam M says, nothing would surprise me from an American anymore, but she has no choice. She has to trust Indy, and they leap to the next ledge. And in and around the temple, most everyone dies. Wu and the remains of his men watch the destruction from outside the temple, and then they leave. Costner makes it out back from the way he came. And as that collapses, he just about gets out. And goes further up the mountain unseen. Inside now, the temple is sealed. Bit of a well of souls, wanna be. Um, Indy and, and Madame M must work together to get out. They can't dig their way out, or uh, to go, and they can't go up the way Costner did. So they have to be counterintuitive and head down through the centre of the mountain. They do this, saving each other's lives against sheer drops into bottomless darkness. There's a very low and tight tunnel of sorts that they have to crawl through on their bellies. And it's essentially like a low crack above the floor, crawling on their bellies, a million, with millions of tons of rock above them. It's tight and claustrophobic um, and nasty. And then uh, massive, bulbous glowworms, each about a foot long, emerge and wiggle out from other cracks around them and all around and above. And he slither and a flock all over them as they crawl on their bellies through. And this is the rats, bugs, snakes moment. That's brilliant. Then, I
0: was thinking, like, I didn't put any animals really in mind. And I was thinking, that like, what's it missing? And that's a really good one to add to the canon. Nice. Like that. And I just want to nice. say, quickly, work out like, this is a good flip on the doody, you know. Uh, yes. Hero to villain, sort of thing, you know, or ally to villain, and you know, nice. the other way around with Madden. I'm re- yes. appreciating that. Just wanted to say
1: <laughs> nice, uh, thank you very much. Um, so they push on, they push on, they push on, and um, it's looking like it's gonna crumble. When it's, and it's an looking a bit worried, and you know, and they're getting closer to the end, closer to the end, it's crumbling, crumbling, crumbling. Cut hard cut outside the temple on the path back up the mountain. Woo stops. And with uh, his new connection to the universe, be it uncanny intuition or sixth sense, he knows that Madame M and India are still alive, and either using explosives or some sort of like force manipulation because he's at one with the structure of reality, um, he makes the entire roof of the mountain now above the temple just totally collapse. Now. You did something a bit similar, so I'm cool with this and I'm happy. And it's kind of like this in Temple of Doom in that Muralum pulls out the heart and everything. But, you know, obviously, usually in indie films, the, the relic or whatever shows supernatural shit at the very end. But there isn't much supernatural shit during the film. But in this one, I am breaking that a little bit. Um, and, you know, maybe the fans won't like it. but I have to risk it. Um, so there you go, it. and that I was
0: a I think it's really cool. It's a great decision.
1: Nice, you know, but he's only got like you know one fifth of it, so it builds throughout, so it doesn't go totally crazy yet. But I also like yes. how
0: scared Costner is too. It's good. It's good. Mm. The stakes are there, it's yeah, more nuanced for the two of them. They're both in over their head.
1: Nice, yes, and of course, Indy is the master of being in over his head, and so Costner is likewise. So yes, nice. Uh, So uh, the entire mountain starts to rumble, and inside they get out from under the the big wormy bit, but everything is starting to collapse on top of them. Indy has no time to pause. Um, There are, like, within the temple's pathways and ancient chambers deep inside the mountain, there are ancient totems and carved wooden statues. They were, like, wooden. He's got a flaming torch, of course he does. Now Indy um, grabs one of these wooden totems, wrenching it from the wall, grabs Madam M as the entire mountain starts to fall on top of them and they leap into the fast flowing underground river that is cutting off their path so now you've got this nice moment, again a bit of a template of doom. they now use this old ancient wooden totem pole type thing to ride the rapids of, of the, uh, of, and waterfalls and they descend the mountain on, uh, on this log flume as everything is covered by mammoth falling rocks some splashing heavily into the water around them as they shoot along Uh, At the base of the mountain, we do a hard cut, and we see uh, it's a peaceful valley, and an ancient goat herd tends to his flock, and he, uh, he frowns when a strange noise starts coming from a cluster of rocks and moss and roots, undisturbed for centuries. And the old man is shocked, to say the least, as an arm suddenly shoots out from between these vines from the side of the bottom of the mountain and the rocks. And this arm shoots up and sort of gropes blindly around for a moment. And the goat herd continues to stare as then next to this male arm, a female slender arm pops up next to it and starts likewise to grope around. And you can't imagine what sort of creature this is with these two arms. And then Indy's head pops out uh, and it emerges as he heaves himself up and out. And then he reaches back in and then pulls out air which also emerges and they're both like wet and dusty and they're looking a lot like a mountain just fell on them. And uh, the the goat head still just stares, sort of a kind of a blank expression, but a staring. And then greets the old man in Mandarin uh, and he greets them back. And then Jones and Madam M start to descend into the valley below. And as they walk away, Madam M says, thank you, Dr. Jones. And Indy says, call me Indiana, Madam M. And Madam M says, "Indiana, can't me Maggie," and the old man watches them walk away down the grassy uh, hilltop, nice, gentle slope. And then he turns and he looks at his goats as if seeking some confirmation that he did just witness this. And a goat looks back, chewing, unbothered. Uh, so <laughs> there's a. I'll there you
0: go. The um, Moonraker vibes. <laughs> no, 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 yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, no, okay.
1: <laughs> a little bit of Moonraker vibe. A little bit of the old man changing his tire in Last Crusade when he's his car, <laughs> and a little bit of the guy in the Venice Library when he's stamping.
0: Oh, Look. that's amazing! Forgot about that.
1: <laughs> I'm going to say it's the same actor as well, uh, as one of those, <laughs> or all of those. So basically, as we said, it's a team switch. So, Indy knows he's been duped by Wu, and Maggie knows she's been duped by Costner. And now they agree to pool their resources and work out the necessary clues to obtain, uh, obtain from inside the temple and the knowledge that Wu shouted out to reach the second power point before Wu can because he's going to increase his power further. So, we have the plane, we have the red line, we have the music. We find out that, like, you know, she knew, of course, Maggie knew that Wu was up to no good. Anymore must never get this power, and that's why she was resorting to all these tactics to stop. She doesn't know Indy, she's like, I've just got to stop these, there's no way. She's the hero of her own story, and as it turns out, she was the hero, and she was doing the right thing, trying to stop the wound. So next, they fly, they travel to the next PowerPoint in Cambodia. During this uh, brief moment in the plane, perhaps, Maggie asks Indy about Kostna after being berated for Indy, uh, by Indy for hiring uh, him in the first place. So we learn now some more of Indy and Constantinople's shared history, of how during the war, they were indeed on a few adventures and missions together and made a good team. And, it, and Indy kind of took him under his wing a little bit. Kostner learned a lot from Indy. And also, although he doesn't like to admit it, Indy learned a little bit from Kostner as well. Then, on a mission to blow up a dam and thus destroy a Nazi stronghold, Kostner betrayed the Allies and the group they were in, and Jones, taking some treasure or some such instead of destroying the dam, leaving everyone to die and betray them. The Nazis are storming in. Indy lost friends on this particular trip and only managed to blow the dam and get out by the skin of his teeth. And since then, the two have been bitter enemies. And in his own way, Kostner feels as betrayed by Indy as Indy does by him. Um, so in Cambodia, they uh, now Indy and Maggie travel deep up the river, traveling in a little thin boat. And um, Maggie talks about her brother and how he's obsessed with power. And Indy's like, and you're not her. Maybe in my own way, in my own way, but I respect power. I covet knowledge, but I want to earn it myself, not have it as a gift. Maggie, my father, always said, what use is knowledge if you can't save yourself? I've always believed that to be true. And so now they reach this tiny little floating village up the river. And we have a smaller action scene, perhaps, on the floating village. then um, an Indian and Maggie discover inside this hidden fortress under the river, the second power point. But Wu has got there first. And also arriving on the scene, bloody Cosnets. Deep inside the tomb, Wu has laid a trap for them with his special knowledge, activating an ancient booby trap, hidden holes them with Indy, and, and it's kind of the spikes um, scene, basically. In the, uh, inside this, in this um, tomb, in, uh, the ceiling and the walls open, and white powder, kind of like uh, coarse white sand, spills down on Indy and Maggie and some other nasties who are in there. Now, Jimmy, do you know this stuff you get when you're cleaning your drains, de-blocking drains like your sink or whatever, or if you're showering and like your, your thick dog hair, and I mean your thick dog hair, Jimmy really, uh, <laughs> blocks up the, the thing. There's a thing in in Poland called cret, um, and what and it's this white powder, and you put you what you do is you boil water, you pour it down the drain, down the plug hole, and then you pour in some cret, and it and it reacts with the water, and it's very very acidic. You can't breathe it in. It's proper nasty, but it will just burn through everything down there. Wow. It's really hardcore. It fizzes. So I was cleaning my shower the other day, and so this popped into my mind. So um, this is cret basically, which is pouring down on everyone. Um, now this uh, this dry white powder is toxic. Basically okay, but if you get it wet, it will bubble and froth and dissolve whatever it is covering. There are lots of goons now die in horrible ways as water is starting to leak from, from above them, down cracks which are spreading in the ceiling. Now, I'm thinking Costner uh, engages with Indy and they have another brief, brief grapple. Both men are covered in this toxic sandy shit while above cracks and holes start opening and the ceiling starts to rupture with water raining down around them for leaks and springs from the river above. And as Costner and Indy fight, they must avoid more streams cascading down from above them, dripping and running, some thin little dribbles and others freely flowing streams falling straight down suddenly from new holes, so you have to watch out. Punches are thrown between these streams of varying widths, as Indy and Kostner duck and weave and punch and weave between these flowing streams. One uh, bit of water hits Indy's arm and it starts fizzing with acidity and he throws off his jacket and throws it as it's smoking and bubbling. He throws it right at a goon. Bit of a Frank Drebin, you know, with the, with the pillow. He throws it at the goon. He's like, ah, <laughs> gets it on the face. Uh, and it makes him stumble back. And he's fighting to, like, tear the, you know, corroding jacket off him. But he backs up directly under a hole in the roof. And the water lands in a strong flow right on top of his head. And it starts smoking. <laughs> And then we have like a real Spielberg-suggested violence moment where I see we have a a low shot, camera's very low down, and in the extreme foreground we have the unfortunate goon's legs, kind of like his feet up to his knees, I reckon, and then it's at the top of the frame, and the fizzing water is running down his legs, uh, presumably down from the man's head and down his body, and it's running down his legs in, in the foreground, fizzing and popping and so on to the floor, and the water streams down and it froths. and first it's white, and then it turns red. And in, in the background, we see the man's shadow on the wall, and the shadow's head we see totally dissolve. Wow. Uh, and then in the foreground, yeah. the feet and legs topple back, so you know, as he falls backwards. And again, we only see him from the knees down, uh, and his foot is twitching, and we can only imagine that his entire body, again, probably to the waist, has just dissolved as he's been puked on by a massive gundal fly. Uh, yeah, so he's gone from the waist up. Fosner um, in this fight with Indy now, has the upper hand, um, and he's 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 winning. Indy kicks a counterweight, which swings up, impacts with the ceiling very hard, a beat. Cosner and Indy look at each other as the goons from Woo or some nasty natives rush down towards them both, And the cracks deepen and widen and spread and trickles, then turn to streams, and the cracks spread even more and widen above their heads. And then the entire ceiling breaks, splinters, and then collapses as the river just crashes in through the roof as it all gives way. And all the goons are swamped immediately and they're all like carried off down the tunnels by the torrent. But uh, you, know, you see their heads bobbing in the water as they go, but it's all smoking and bubbling around them because they're all covered in that shit. And they're all like, aye, and they disappear and you know they're dead. Um, Costner legs it into an alcove and escapes. Indy runs, being chased by the water. Um, others are running behind him and they're, of course, caught up by the spray as they're running, but they're frothing and sizzling. Uh, the water is at Indy's back, which also starts to fizz a bit, now just in his little thin shirt. And as the water is almost on top of him, a rope drops from above, lowered by Maggie from a hole in the ceiling up to the jungle. Indy jumps, catches the rope, swinging, and then climbs up as the water smashes into, into the room below and his feet and shoes start smoking. And it's a bit of a water. Water he gets to the top and he kicks off his shoes and his socks are like still smoking He grips those off too. Uh, they missed Woo but they did manage to gain some clues, which through clever deduction, they figure out roughly where they need to go next. Japan! So this is for the third PowerPoint, and we're led to believe it's going to be in some ancient city hidden near volcanoes and shit, and they need to find the, that location. So Maggie and Jones get to Tokyo, wearing now their civilized nice clothes after a nice plane ride and another red light, And they've arrived. Pag- through Maggie's uh, considerable influence, They've got a meeting with this ancient woman who is apparently 117 years old, who knows the location the third point. And we see Tokyo, we see the city, we lean into the old and the new post-war, new aspects slowly taking seed. And so Indy and Maggie go and meet this ancient woman in her dwellings, where she is kept as a national treasure in her own right. It's a fairly modern, quite robust building, actually. So she's living in this large modern building in the city centre, and she never takes meetings. And Maggie holds her a sway, and also Jones does, as it turns out, have a solid reputation in Japan. Apparently, he tangled with the Japanese during the war, but his behaviour was deemed very honourable. And Indy is like, really, and makes a change. Uh, there are goons here, but they are respectful to Indian Maggie. They're there to guard um, the old lady, as Indian Maggie are granted an audience with the ancient one and they meet and it's kind of similar to the old man in Raiders, wait and take back bangy, bangy. But now there's another bit of a twist, there's a bit of a digging in the wrong place moment as Indy and Maggie now find out that Wu and or Costner have followed the wrong lead and they're heading to this ancient civilization at the base of the volcano. Whereas Indy now realizes as he deciphers the ancient one's information, Indy says to Maggie. Don't you get it? The old lady told us the power of the Tao is all around us. The point is a fixed place, but not where we would seek. She said it herself. It's not a ruin or a jungle. It's here. The power point is around us now, in this room. We don't need to seek it. We're already here. And then, at the moment of revelation, they are attacked. With Wu and his men, they burst in. And and Wu has these like two parts of knowledge now, so he's double hard and he was not fooled by Jones's misdirect for long or the general misdirect for long. Ancient One's protectors were shady and mildly hostile at first when Indy and Maggie first arrived, but now they turn out to be nice and now they're fighting with Indy and Maggie, you know, giving them a chance to, uh, to uh, get out of there and to access his PowerPoint. Indy realizes that the old woman has the knowledge of power inside her. She is the vessel, she is the PowerPoint, and she has been its vessel for many, many decades, hence her long life. But now, as the building is sieged, she clasps Maggie and she transfers this power from this one PowerPoint into Maggie as Maggie becomes the vessel. Um, so no Indian Maggie must flee. They're in their civilized clothes. They, they weren't allowed to bring any weapons, so they're in a bit of a tight spot with all of Wu's men popping up. Um, Indies in his pure professor get up. This means as the hordes of Wu storm the place around them, he has to like improvise and find other weapons, wherever, whatever is at hand, so some inventive moments where he adapts to his surroundings to make do. Um, you know, he's throwing weird shit And he and Maggie leg it through the building and across rooftops over the city, and then through all sorts of buildings, some very old, some very new. uh, Indy continuing to improvise his weapons. Maggie fights hard and well, cracking heads, using the shards from a smashed window to throw like blades, catching goons in the chest and throat. On street level, dodging traffic and many, many people, they fall back to an alley where Indy uses a thick hose, which is being used to wash fish heads from the street. He uses this as a makeshift whip, wrapping it around some dude's throat, pulling him into a punch, then cracking someone else in the face with the other end of the hose, then wrapping it around some nasty's wrist, who's just like reaching for Maggie's throat at that moment. And then Indy cracks and wraps the other end around a speeding truck. And so the length suddenly grows taut and the nasty is jerked away just as his hands were about to clasp uh, Maggie's throat and he's ripped off and he's pulled down the street, bouncing along. Indy and Maggie get in a vehicle of their own. There's a bit of a chase through the streets, ending in a jump and a crash with the car or whatever uh, into the market. And then, like in this sort of fish market, both uh, emerge from this like sort of tuck-tuck type thing, uh, disheveled. Their nice clothes now covered in chicken and fish guts, but Indy and Maggie escape with the knowledge from this PowerPoint given by the old woman. Maggie now knows where the fourth PowerPoint is. They make their escape. Wu is not happy. And back at the original building, with all the guards all dead, Wu has a scene with the ancient woman. And he ends up placing his hands on either side of her head and draining her essence and life force, uh, strengthened by the Tao power. She screams and he exults. And when he releases her head, she falls back a cadaver sunken and mummified as if she'd been dead for decades uh, so now they get in um it's the next point costner continues to fuck with indy's plans maybe they have another set to the boat they head to venezuela they get to angel falls and there's an action sequence here i always thought a really good action sequence with a massive waterfall when i heard crystal school was going to have a waterfall sequence i was really like oh that's a great idea rubbish so, here we go. Bit of a moonraker going on as well. Boats running into each other. Machine guns over the water. People going off the top of the waterfall. Uh, Costner's throwing grenades at Indy's boat. Um, Wu's men are there. Fights on boats. Blah, blah, blah. Um, some, oh, yeah, Indy at some point swings, like, through some of the water, which is falling down, and kicks some dude, you know, uh, he's hiding behind the water. What a total Danny J. Lewis one of me. And the guy, like, falls down. <laughs> Um, during this, Maggie reaches the tomb as Indy is fighting and causing more distraction. She gets in, containing the fourth PowerPoint, but Wu gets there at the same moment. Wu grabs Maggie's head and starts to perform the same shit that he did on the old woman to claim the power and knowledge, and he succeeds. He sucks in the power from the Tokyo PowerPoint into himself, and then he's going like, to turn her into a mummy, but Indy arrives, stops him before he goes all the way, Um, Maggie, like, falls down, but she's okay, she just doesn't have the shit in her anymore. Wu has it, um, and Indy and Maggie leg it, but now Wu gets all of the PowerPoint power, four of the five at least. Now they must reach the last PowerPoint place in Norway. So Indy, Maggie, plane, then train. We are somewhere very, very, very cold. I've never really seen Indy somewhere really cold. And, like you were saying about wearing slightly different clothes, I don't want to see Indy in a but you know, he has to adapt to the cold a little bit. But he's still in the jacket and hat. Maybe he's got a nice scarf. Um, <laughs> now, Maggie has continued to display her vast wealth over this whole trip. Now, Indy says that the strain uh, at this train station now they find themselves in, uh, in this cold location, he says he's not sure riding by train is a good idea because they're going to be surrounded by strangers and possible hidden dangers. And they're going to be in the middle of nowhere. And Maggie says, "No problem. She's bought uh, the, the entire carriage of the train because uh, she's rich as fuck." So Indian Maggie catch the train, which takes them uh, through these winding paths high up in these snowy mountains. A very perilous winding train tracks on the side of the mountain. Uh, another moment of uh, brief peace on board the train. Maybe another line moment on the map. Indian Maggie share a nice moment. And they're they maybe, you know, they're starting to be, oh, are we going to do a kissy kissy? But they're interrupted by a waiter who comes in and says, drinks, drinks, or whatever. And he starts pouring their drinks. Um, and as he's doing it, Indy or Maggie sees that as the waiter is pouring the drinks in front of them, that he has these kind of like slightly dirty, unkept nails. And Maggie's like, so much for first class. but Indy is like, mm, and, he, and him and the waiter meet eyes for a moment and they just read each other a moment. You know, immediately, and it's a trap. And the waiter pulls out a huge curved knife, and Maggie jumps up, and and as he's you know is about to square off with of Indy, Maggie smashes him on the back of the head from behind with like the metal pot or something, and he's knock, knocks out the waiter guy. But then, boom! They're besieged from both entrances of their carriage as loads of goons spill in. The bloody ambush. We learn that Wu. Has only gone and done a bloody lao Che and he outbid his sister, so she claimed <laughs> the carriage. He claimed all the other carriages. And he's got the whole train filled with cunts, and they're all now storming in. By the way, Wu's Chinese, obviously, but I see when I see his goons, you know, he's got mercenaries from all over the world, so he's a very multi-ethnic uh, employer. His, his nice, woman. Shepi.
0: and who knew and, our and pictures would be so are. obsessed with the. Uh... With travel and the class with which one travels, and, uh, and I know travel,
1: nice. I nice. know it's true. It's nice to see him having a nice time for once in between. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I didn't even think of that when I mentioned it about yours, actually. So yeah, but you're absolutely right. Amazing. Um, so uh, loads of goons are spilling in um, from both ends of the carriage, um, and they're in the middle of nowhere, up a mountain, in a blizzard, attack on mass. Um, and this is this is the massive end of act two set piece, like the tank or the truck or the minecart. And um so it's a, it's a great big, act, a nice little. It starts off with a nice little action scene inside this carriage. Indy and Maggie are attacked on both sides, and they escape. They shoot and so on, and they escape through the windows up and climb up octopusy stylely onto the roof of the train. Uh, a goon is uh, doing like a, he stands in front of Indy on the train, doing like a boxing stance, you know, a real, Pat not you want to be like, ah. And he doesn't see a tunnel coming up behind him. Classic, Indy ducks, and the goon is like, ha, huh? And turns around, it's like, hey! And he's taken off from the knees up, leaving Indy, like as, as the train then comes out the other side of the tunnel, Indy's like lying in his front and it goes light again. And um, he sees, like Indy sees, like two empty boots lying in front of him. Or to be honest, they might not be empty, but there, there's nothing above the the boot. Um, so the people, that guy's dead. He and Maggie are running rooftop to rooftop amid smoke and steam and snow and wind, jumping between carriages from roof to roof. Goons are all trying to follow, and some, of course, fall between the tracks, you know, between the carriages, getting run over. Some fall off the side of the mountain. Maggie makes it inside the front carriage, but it, um, down and gets in. But she's because they they want need to get to the engine room. But she's grabbed by a brute. Indy then swings down from the roof into the compartment through the window and does the classic double kick with the foot uh, into you know, the goon's chest, sending him flying back through the window and off down the mountain. And he's like, "Aye." So they try to make it into the engine room, but they find that all the controls are being sabotaged and the train is out of control. Indy and Maggie are now trapped at the front of the train as the goons enter the carriage with evil intent. And they seem to be done for when Indy does a temple of doom. And he says to Maggie, you trust me? And Maggie says, not at all. And mm-hmm. Indy says, ah, then this won't help. And he leans from the window and he raises a flare and he fires it up the mountain. There's a beat, and then we have a colossal avalanche, and it rushes down the mountainside, and then smashes into the into the train, knocking it from the rails and sending it rolling down the mountain's deep snow. When the whole train comes off, and all of the carriages detach and separate, and some carriages of the train stop, and some go flying from the mountain top down impossible heights. And others start rolling down end over end down the side of like this very steep snowy bank, and so this is the one with Indy. In fact, the first uh, the two front carriages um, uh, slide down the steep slope through the deep snow towards the edge, and the impossibly steep uh, an epic drop beyond this slope, and it's rolling, 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 rolling down, uh, and you know you, you can see the shot inside this carriage that's rolling. It's, you know, it's like the inside of a tumble dryer. Um, now, the other, the second carriage, the one without Indy unit, uh, this detaches now and the empty carriage, uh, it's like smashes face first, you know, like front first into off a rock. So the entire front smashes open, totally destroying the door, leaving it all gaping and ripped open. Um, and the, And the impact drastically halts its descent and it sort of slides slowly down the slope. Meanwhile, however, the carriage with Indy, Maggie, and some goons—that's rolling over and over—and everyone's tumbling around inside. Then it stops spinning, settling upside down. and now they're all lying on the on the ceiling, and um, it shoots nose first down the mountain now, like a bloody bullet, barreling through the snow, um, very thick snow. So that's all going everywhere, and it's going um, towards the edge and the drop to nothingness. Maggie runs to the end and Indy's like, jump! And she jumps from the back door and lands in the snow, tumbling through the thick snow. Indy runs after her, you know, there's some goons where they're all totally fucked up by this big wrong. So he runs um, and he gets to the door and he's going to jump out the back of the train as it shoots along, but then a big meaty hand comes and grabs him by the collar by what I call a strong goon. And you know it's Pat Roach. And he's clearly insane. And Roach proceeds to drag Indy back into this hurtling train of doom. And he's like, proceeds to bounce Jones all around the carriage. And it's the classic Jones fighting someone who's much, much stronger than him maneuver. And as the train continues its fast slide, Indy keeps trying to jump out. But strong goon Roach won't let him and smacks the shit out of him. And acting like a snowplow, the, the train slowly slows down as it's getting closer to the edge, and it reaches the drop, coming to a stop with the front half now sticking over the edge. And so now, they can both get their feet under them a bit because it's the, the, it stopped its momentum. So Indy and the other goon, and the big big goon, the roach goon, um, have a have a fight on this rocking, teetering train. Indy landing some massive blows, but Strong Goon is having none of it throwing him up into the ceiling and then smashing him down through a table and all of that. And the carriage starts to tilt further over the edge like a pendulum. And again, Indy keeps racing to the back door and this counterbalances the carriage, so it writes itself again. But then Strong Goon Roach grabs him and throws him all the way back down to the front end. And so it starts tilting again, hanging over the edge tilting more and more and sliding, and it's all very unstable with snow giving way and everything. So now by the front door, over the drop, strong goon Roach holds a very battered and groggy Indy by the front. He grins savagely. Now, behind, now this is a total, total last crusade of the park, and Spielberg probably wouldn't want to do it. It's, too, it's, it's, it's the same. But behind Roach, another goon, previously unconscious, now sort of groggily stands up, so as Roach with one hand holds Indy he pulls back his fist ready to smash into Indy's face and his elbow accidentally smashes into the face of the groggy goon behind him which knocks him flying right back out through the main door at the front of the carriage and he just goes right off the edge because they you know they're hanging over the edge he just screams falling all the way down into nothing but you know we don't cut to anything we just see him fly out the window it's pure comic moment um, and it, and uh, strong goon doesn't even notice and Indy takes this moment to kick Roach in the nuts, grab the railings above, and then he's going to again perform like a double kick to, uh, to Roach's chest. Um, but this time, though, it has no effect. And Indy just sort of bounces off Roach's chest and falls to the floor. And Roach is like, ah, you know, and uh, the carriage continues now to tilt more and more, the drop looming through the front window. And shattered door and it tilts down even more but then it writes itself and it tilts again each time tilting further and steeper and indy is battered but he grabs a silver coffee pot because they're in first class and he throws the hot coffee which uh, into roach's face which makes him scream and indy smashes him in the face with the pot and he turns and he uses the last of his strengths to race up the drastically tilting train um as it tilts down for the last time. And this time he's running up, 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 as it, you know, towards the door desperately. Indy and Roach, you know, Roach is running up after him. Indy makes it to the back door and he's about to leap. But again, Roach goes to grab his collar, but this time Indy's ready and he just shrugs it off and he loses another jacket, which I think is a bit of a motif in this film. He keeps losing his jackets. But now this leaves Roach on the train as Indy leaps clear and he's holding the coat in one hand and he kind of looks at the coat in his hand looking confused. And then his eyes widen as the train goes and completes the last topple and it falls and Roach is like, ah, and he screams as he and the carriage disappear off the edge of this ridiculous little mountain. And Indy lands in the snow, hanging off the edge, pure Last Crusade, and he manages to claw his way up. And he lies panting and spent in the snow, and a figure is approaching, and he's like, Maggie. And he looks up, but it's the waiter from the beginning of the sequence who attacked them, and he's all battered and shit, but he's on his feet, and he's got a gun, and he, this last goon trudges over, and he stands over Indy, and the goon sort of grins with this sort of bloody smile, and he raises the gun. Uh, And then over behind the goon, Indy sees that the the first carriage, the one that smashed into the rock, is still coming down. And it's now picking up speed and it's coming down like a bullet following in the path, the trail, left by the other carriage. So the gun-toting waiter goon is grinning at Indy. He doesn't see the second carriage sliding down behind him, nose first. And Indy does the classic pointing, like, look, and, he, and the goon doesn't believe him. He's like, ah, ha, ha. and he cocks back the gun's hammer. But then he sort of senses maybe a vibration or a noise or something. He senses it too late. He looks over his shoulder and he sees the bullet train rocketing towards him. And Indy finds yet another last reserve of strength. And he's up and he runs right at the goon. And the goon stares at the train barreling down on them. And he screams as the train just smashes into him. Indy runs up the you know the snow is all piled up the front as it's come down he kind of runs up this jumps through just at the moment of impact he jumps and enters this second carriage through the gaping opening that was made you know in the front by that rock and Indy jumps in and he's inside another carriage which is just about to barrel off the cliff again and again not tilting this time but he runs through the carriage maybe past like a day's goon who's like ha and Indy leaps again from the back door as this carriage flies off at top speed with the goon, uh, the waiter goon, who's still pinned to the front and he's still alive and he's screaming, and it's a real rubber face going into camera and it goes right off the edge, um you know, propelled at top speed and he flies away with, uh, into vast space with the train pushing him even further. So they're now <laughs>
0: flying <laughs> in the, the snow. <laughs>
1: That whole scene. <laughs> wow! <laughs> so, lying in the snow, a figure is now approaching Indy again, and Indy's like, "Oh!" And he gets up, like River's really destroyed, but sort of another kind of battered. Let's go, okay? Let's fight. But this time, it is Maggie, and swirl. The snow is swirling all around them, and they sort of sink down, and they're panting in the snow. And she offers him like a hip flask, and he looks at her incredulously, like, "Really?" And Maggie's like, don't worry, the next train will be around in another 12 hours. No, no problem. Mm. And then he just snatches the flask and takes a massive belt. And so now we race to the climax. Um, it's the Skafafell. I'm not pronouncing that correctly, ice caves in Iceland. The climax has a race to the hidden ice caves and tunnels across a vast plain of smooth ice, a, a sea, an ocean of smooth ice. Um. And we learn that beneath the ice, by the way, as they're on the way there, we learn that beneath the ice, far below, tethered to the seabed by chains, lie these large circular metal depth charges stockpiled here during the second war and forgotten and now frozen over and now encased under the ice. So now in the center of this frozen ocean lies the last location of the last energy point Deep inside a twisting, sensational network of tunnels, really beautiful—you know, blue—and you see know, those beautiful views inside this cave. So the tunnels converge inside a vast and beautiful cathedral of ice, and all players converge at this last point of energy and knowledge. You know, Costner, Wu, Maggie, and Indy, and with his now immense power, Wu outfoxes them all, and his goons descend, uh, and um, we see like three. Uh, they, they're they're caught essentially. They're held now at gunpoint, and then Wu steps into the last of the power points, and he's like, "It's over." And he tosses the scrolls aside now, with you know, free abandon. I don't need this shit anymore. And he and he skids across the icy floor, and he starts to receive the ultimate quickening. And that's what it is. It's the quickening. Wind and spirits now, the full power, as he becomes 100%. Uh, they all rush around him larger and more spectacular than ever before. His hair is in a frenzy, his arms again outstretched as as he gloats it over the others. And he stands in the center of this huge storm and Indy and Costner temporarily forget their own beef and I just focused all attention on the ascension of Wu. And most of his goons now fall back or freaked out. Maggie is to one side, starts frantically searching the icy corners looking for the scrolls, but they are gone. And Wu and Kostner and Indy have center stage. So these three, they form like a triangle in the center of this place with all the wind and spirits racing around them. And Wu is facing Kostner and Indy in this kind of triangle. So Kostner and Indy stand side by side about six meters apart, and they're facing Wu, who's about eight meters in front of them. And Wu is pure gloating. And he's like, you know, exulting as he's getting all this power circling around him. He's like, and now witness my ascension, my birth and my ultimate rise. For you have failed. You have all failed. I am becoming one with nature, one with the earth, one with the celestial masters themselves. Tremble, humans, and witness the birth of your savior, your master and your God and Costner and Indy stare at all of this, then, as one, they both draw their revolvers, and in a raider's temple move, they shoot one shot each into Wu's chest in in that raider's move. And Wu takes both bullets, and his face is one of surprise, misunderstanding, confusion, then fear, and then true realisation, as as all hope is lost. And then Wu, defeated, as it turns out, by ying and yang. Uh, he falls down dead, and the wind dies down, and the spirits snap around Costner and Indy, then seemingly vanish. And both men stand stunned and dazed for a beat. Then Indy and Costner snap out of it, spin, and now point their guns at each other. And then Indy says, this isn't necessary, John. We can walk away from this. And Costner says, very civilized thinking, Indiana. But could it be? I'm not even sure you have any bullets left in that gun. And Indy says, no more sure than, than you are about yours. And Costner says, oh, but I am sure. And there's a tense beat. And then he lowers his gun and decocks it. And Indy half smiles. And Costner says, I know mine's empty. And Indy says, knowledge worth having. And he pulls his trigger at Costner, but there's only a click. And he's empty, too. And Costner, calm and smiling, says, and I knew yours was empty, too, Indiana. Seems I know quite a few things more than you. A lot of things, actually. Everything, in fact. And Indy stares, and and the wind starts to pick up again, and Indy's like, oh, shit. And Costner's eyes go ice blue, and Maggie runs forward, and she's like, oh, my God, it's him. He's the vessel. He's now got all the power. And Costner starts to glow. He's like, tell me something I don't know. And he. He dropped something he was hiding, and we see he had the scrolls. And Costner is like, a connection to the past opens all doorways. You taught me that, Indiana. Now let me teach you something. So because he had the scrolls, he got Lou's power after he got shot. Blue energy is crackling all around him, and a bolt of energy shoots out from Costner's now shimmering form as he shoots this bolt of energy at Indy and Maggie, and they duck, and it narrowly misses going over their heads to explode an ice wall behind them, and Costner continues, They came to me, Indiana, not you, and you know why? Of course you don't. So I'll tell you, because I'm worthy, and you're nothing but a corpse and a hat. And now John Constantinople glows all the more, and the wind starts to pick up all the more, and Wu's remaining men try to fire, but Costner bats his hand, And the ceiling above them collapses and huge ice chunks just rain down and smash them instantly. And the other goons flee and the cave starts to rumble and crumble and the room shakes and the floor cracks and the cavern starts to collapse. And Costner starts to laugh all maniacally and shit as all the power in the universe all flows through him now. And Indy and Maggie just turn and run and Costner watches them and just laughs all the harder. So as everything collapses, Indy and Maggie escape the cave as it sinks into the ice and water below. And now on the ice plane, Indy, Maggie, and the remains of Wu's men flee across the vast ocean of ice. And the sky is perfect blue and the ice is perfect white and the world starts to end. And as Kostner emerges and using his power starts the ice cracking with huge cracks spreading from his position, moving out like tendrils, cracking after, following the others. And the cracks reach some of Wu's men uh, first, and the ice opens up uh, around them as they flee and swallows them up as they fall down into the icy water and then closes up on top of them again. And Kostner continues to laugh, intoxicated. Uh, And now he uses his power to detach the depth charges from deep below, snapping the chains, causing them to float up, rise to the surface. And as the first of these, you know, they're like the things from um, For Your Eyes Only, the big massive metal things with spikes on them. The first um, reaches the top, connecting with the frozen surface and detonates. So on the surface, this huge explosion, causing ice fragments to fly up everywhere, and water to gush everywhere, but also causing the huge ice, um, like the, the ground of ice, um, the ocean of ice starts to crack and fragment all over the place now, and then starts to separate into separate, uh, like frozen, shifting plates of ice. So, now on these huge, shifting plates, Indian Maggie are jumping over the widening gaps as they continue to separate. Um, and Indian Maggie are like skidding and sliding as they're running and sliding over this very, very slick moving surface. And some goons are trying to jump, but they and splash, and the water is so cold, you know, you don't stand much of a chance. Kostner releases another depth charge, which rises. And then before it reaches the ice, it connects with like a submerged iceberg and the explosion then detonates, which then uh, detaches the top of the iceberg. And that rises fast. They're so now on the surface, India and Maggie are forced, you know, like they're running around, you know, in no real particular order because everything is moving around them. Everyone is going crazy they're sprinting on the slick surface and right in front of them, the top of this iceberg just comes up and smashes through, erupting up before them. And you know, there's like one goon in this path. And as it comes, this basically mountain just comes up underneath him. It just, he's thrown like a doll, like spins off really high or crashing down just like around the horizon. And now more massive, immense shards of ice, which are detaching from below, are all coming up, smashing through the surface. Uh, causing more of the ice field to disintegrate. And then another depth charge re- reaches the surface and connects with the ice exploding again, causing more mayhem and death to goons. One goon is hit by the blast and thrown to the side as if hit by an invisible train. All is chaos and mayhem on the ice as Costner watches it all with glee, orchestrating it and shit. And his skin is now translucent and his aura is shining. Um, One, maybe it's a bit blue, one depth charge rises and emerges between the shifting ice plates, uh, not connecting with anything and it's bobbing in the water. Maggie and Indy are separated by the uh, by the bergs now and on different plates and the blast and separating plates and so on. Indy is running flat out as things are just exploding all around him on this ice sheet, um, and he's running mostly out of control, you know, the ice is so slick and he's careening all over the place, just really no no control over where he's going, going very fast, uh, most of the time explosions and iceberg tips smashing in through and up front and all around him, and he's thrown by these skittering across the surface like a pinball. One point he grabs like a luckless goon, he's also sliding really fast on the ice, and he grabs the goon and holds him in front of him as they rocket across the ice, Indy using him as a human shield as they both smash into this sort of edge of this iceberg tip and the goon sees and he's screaming as they accelerate towards it and his body takes the brunt um, with an audible crunch and Indy sort of bounces away. And now on the last piece of ice sheet, pretty banged up, Indy slides and sprawls slowly to a stop and Costner apparently weighing nothing at all walks over the the ice um, and the very thin ice in some places without making it crack at all Uh, and he walks over the remaining ice floor and stands over Jones and he is one and Costner looks down at Indiana and he says, that's it for you Indiana, an icy grave that no one shall ever see and Maggie steps up behind him and she says, in China graves are for the honourable, you shall have none and Costner turns and Indy looks and Maggie Maggie recites a passage one last time, and Costner looks mirthful and condescending, but then he sees in her hands other scrolls, and Costner is like, no, no! And he raises his hand to throw an energy bolt at her, but too late, Maggie suddenly goes taut, a whole body arced back, and with this last incantation whilst holding the, the scrolls, she calls the spirits of yin and yang of feng shui and her ancestors themselves, and calls the energy into her, and Costner convulses, and Maggie gasps, and the energy spirits transfer bodies again, and now Maggie stands, her own eyes now ice blue, and she seems unfocused, lost in her own rapture, a newly born baby god seeking the fabric of eternity, seeing it all for the first time, and Costner looks at her in horror, and then at Indy, and Costner looks normal again now, and Indy is slowly getting to his feet, And Indy takes out his gun, and Kostner is bitter and rageful. And he says to Indy, I may not have the knowledge, Jones, but I know you're still out of bullets. And Indy says, who needs them? And he turns and throws the gun with all his might at the depth charge, which is floating just next to them, um, just off the ice edge. And Kostner sees, and he's like, Jones! And the metal gun connects with the charge, setting it off, a huge explosion. Uh, shatters the ice, and Indy and Costner both just fall through and plunge down together into the icy depths as everything just turns to dust beneath them. And underwater, they grapple. Uh, Indy, with the very last strength he has, Costner with the rage of the vanquished. And Indy punches Costner three times underwater in the face, making Costner release his grip. And Indy starts desperately to swim to the surface. But Costner grabs his ankle and pulls him down again before he gets there. They're both totally out of breath, both starting to fade. Costner lands a punch. Indy lands a punch. And then, as they're both going down, their eyes are starting to flicker. Some grabs Indy, and he is pulled right up and away from Costner's grip. And Costner, sinking fast, looks up in helplessness at Jones's rapidly ascending body. As Kostner then sinks like a stone, the very last of his air lost in a silent scream as moments later he is swallowed whole by the watery darkness. And on the surface, Indy now bursts up, very buoyant, and gasps for air. And standing on the edge of the ice is Maggie, glowing, an arm outstretched towards him, using her energy to lift him up to the surface. And Indy now swims to the edge and pulls himself up and out. And in a heap, he swallows in as much air as he can, but he is shivering mega, mega violently. And Maggie then stands over him, and he looks up at her, consumed. Now she is with celestial majesty, and she raises her hand again, and now sends a vibration of energy through the air, which covers and surrounds Indiana like a bubble of heat. And then this disperses, leaving Indy steaming slightly, dry and warm and he looks at her and Maggie with her hair flapping wildly and going crazy with this wind and spirits all about. she says you have no idea Indy, the power, all I can see all that I know, I could save this planet, I could save us all and Indy slowly stands and uh, he stands opposite her looking into her eyes and he says Maggie and she looks at him and he says What use is knowledge if you can't save yourself? And she looks at him for a long moment. Uh, A god, just blindly, but then a touch of humanity appears on her face, a long moment, and then she opens her arms and tilts back her head and says, I release you, for no one human should serve as a vessel for such majesty. I release you back to the atoms where you call home. And the blue spirits and energy waves burst from her and flow freely out of her and out into the sky and then creating this beautiful pattern in the sky as it exits her, uh, the opposite of the violent storm when it went into Wu and Costner, And it's very beautiful. It swirls up into the blue sky, turning the blue sky purple into waves of colour, creating a brand new auroras borealis. And then Maggie, empty of this, he collapses into Indy's arms and he catches her and lowers her down on his knees and he holds her and her eyes are shut. He looks desperately at her, now inert form. And then her eyes flutter and she opens them and she looks at him and she's human again. And she smiles weakly and Indy smiles back in huge relief. And they embrace under the new light above them. And we have this epic shot where we pull back and away. and We see Indy and Maggie on this like, fairly small floating island in the middle of light, this cracked separating ice in this middle of this ocean. And it pulls back, 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 surrounded by more shards and segments, water. Some, we see some bodies sprawled here and there of goons and a dozen new iceberg tips floating and bobbing and sticking up around them. And the pullback continues until Indy and Maggie are specks on a landscape of white. And we dissolve and we dissolve too. We have Indy and Maggie and we don't know what's happened, but they're they're bandaged and they're in a change of clothes and they're sitting. and they're kind of cleaned up a bit but they're looking battered as fuck and they're sitting with a kind of a fairly nondescript wood paneled wall behind them they're spent but relaxed with each other's company and they have a final conversation about power being only as good as the one who wields it and unlearned knowledge being a paper tiger and Maggie says and what have you learned Indiana and Indy says that patience is a virtue and he leans in and they finally get a kiss, and she returns it, and they get to it. And now we have a, another pullback, in one last epic pullback, revealing next to them on this wall is like a porthole, and we pull back more and we see more of the wall, and we pull back more, we see they're outside, and we pull back more, and we, they're on a deck of a ship, and more, we see they're on the deck of a mammoth icebreaker, which as we pull back even more, we see Smashing through the waves amongst the chunks of ice, sailing away across the ocean. And on the side of the front of the ship, we see its name and it's Madame M's triumph. And the famous beam builds and swells. We snap to black. We have credits and it's the end. And there you are. And tagline, and I think I'm kind of plagiarizing myself here, but tagline, a hat, a whip and away we go. Oh, that's a bloody.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is like the best comment I can give you to that, Sheppy, is that we were talking about doing a series of movies in the 90s or whatever. No one can follow that. You gave it everything. That's everything an indie film can ever do. And all this new stuff and all those new scenes like, that's, that's ridiculous, epic. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I wrote down some bullets as they popped into it. I don't even know I'll be able to read them anymore. But like just, there's a Met Sheppie. That pitch started at 6.20am here. I know. Nearly 8.20. That's basically an indie movie you've just given us all. What is yeah.
1: Right. Jesus. <laughs> amazing. Well, it's just amazing. You know, sometimes we, there's a t- yeah. there's a time for restraint, and there's a time when you get the chance to write in Jonna Jones punching people. That's yes, what I man. say.
0: Well, that's good. And I think, um, yeah, man, I'm just so ha- I don't even know if I'm going to be able to read any of these scribbles I made as you said things, but um, I just um, why did I put that map? Immediately derailed. I put that map. Not a- oh, I don't know. Anyway, but that's okay. We'll worry about that later. I just man, I just. I love, let me go in reverse order, I might have better at luck. So I just, I love that whole bloody Pat Roach choreography fight. I love all the depth charge stuff, it was brilliant. You've got some stuff there, even like a newborn baby seeking, and I couldn't even like write it down in time. But you know, some of the stuff is poetry Sheppy, it's really ridiculous. Um, you know, just so many goon, death and so many shin level decapitations as well it was actually, <laughs> i might need to book you in with somebody to actually look into <laughs> that psychologically um, i just love yeah man i just love it like the the i can just see indy legging it every time you've got him legging it and huffing and puffing with it as well and just um inventive moments indy of course there's too many of them and just like um Lovely beats, water, water. I can't remember what that was referring to now. I'm looking forward to the re-listen already, but the, yeah, just man, loads of new environments. India in the snow. I'm just happy. Yappy yeah, is bloody wonderful, and just perfect with Costner getting the power and everything. And then her, and then I'm glad she didn't die. And everything's happy. And like yeah, man, I'm
1: just we'll talk almost a duty. Bad with know. power at the end, but she pulls it back.
0: No, it was really it was perfect, chefs. Jesus Christ, it was perfect.
1: Thank you perfect Man, that's perfect. great my, my throat is knackered but that's a good that's a lot
0: well let's give it <laughs> its last let's give it its last um stretch then sheps we we have an order of business to do um but listen I do, do. i'm sorry to rush to <clears> it because but you need to get to no no it, and i need to it's add, valid go for a p probably and uh but also just um but yeah so what is our homework for next time Sheppy? what are we looking at as next time's pitch
1: well jimmy you did scuff on my plans. I well look, let me put it this way. Back in the day, a little while ago, there was a film and I was gonna use it at some point. It was on my radar for a while. It was a little bit close to one thing we did, and it was a little bit close to another. It was always moving along. And I was always thinking it would be a nice, like no pressure one, you know? And so then I'm thinking it'd be a good one to follow Indy to do a no pressure one. But then at a certain point I thought before you set Indy, um, I thought, well actually, why not go out like, and have a really big hitter and not use this other one? But then you set indie, and I was like, well, that's too similar in certain ways. So I went back to my original choice. And so it's a non, uh, no pressure at all, absolute madness. I don't know if you've seen it. It's one of those ones where 97% of me setting it is to make you watch it. <laughs> Jimmy, and it is kind of connected to indie, because it's got a George Lucas vibe. I want a sequel to Howard the Duck.
0: Oh, wow. Oh, shit. I've never seen it. So there you go. Bingo. Right. Yeah. That's... My luck's in. <laughs> okay. I'll well. see
1: you in ducky hell. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I'm not allowed to build on the Guardians of the Galaxy reference. I
1: no, no. Because, right. again, it's not that Howard. It's That's an alternative universe, Howard. I want a sequel to that Howard. I want Howard the
0: Duck. It was probably about time I gave it a look. So that's that's, I would
1: say so. I'll give you
0: texts as I watch it as little updates.
1: The bill is in the post and so forth. (laughs) Uh, Yes.
0: How how can you possibly then, Sheffy, bring a close to this? Um, I have something in mind, but I don't know what
1: I have one thing which I always, uh, which I talked about once when someone asked me um, about why I broke up with a certain girlfriend. I'm gonna say the same thing to you, Jimmy. This sounds like it's rehearsed, but actually this did just come to me, I promise. Um, you and I, Jimmy, we, we always try and make arrangements to meet up and have this time. You know, sometimes it's hard, we get the times wrong, and other times we have bad dates. Oh my god. <laughs> and I'll see you in hell. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God.